Trigger warning. The podcast you're about to listen to may contain sexual and violent acts committed against men, women, and children. If such acts offend you in any way, please do not listen any further. This podcast was made for an audience of 18 years and older and contains mature and explicit content. Also, this podcast may also contain a high level of profanity and explicit language. If such things offend you in any way, shape, or form, please do not listen to the podcast any further. This is your last trigger warning. If anything that I mentioned above offends you, please do not listen. Thank you. Warning. The cases that I talk about here are under the assumption that the individuals that are accused allegedly committed these crimes unless they have been convicted in court for the tri- for the crimes that they have been charged with. This is by no means me making any kind of accusations whatsoever. I am simply commenting on news articles and stories that have been shared with me through individuals who may or may not have experienced these said stories. This is not fact. This is purely my opinion. Unless they have been through court and they have been convicted. Please understand that moving forward. Thank you. Hey everybody. This is Jeremy with the Man Apart Podcast. Episode 36. Titled, The Bethel Boys Surviving Brutality. So I ended up getting connected with John and Dan and Dave, three men who went to Bethel Boys Academy in Loosedale, Mississippi through Sabrina Young, who was also at Bethel Academy. I want to say, I don't know if it was titled Bethel Academy for Girls or whatnot, but they, they did have a boy side and a girl side to it. And Sabrina was on the girl side of it. She reached out to me and asked me one day if I'd like to talk to John and Dan and Dave. And I said, yes, of course. My first contact was with John. And the conversation went great. We hit it off. We ended up, you know, getting in touch with Dan and then Dave shortly after. And all three of these men just, we all seemed to click together. And we set up our interview. Mostly, a lot of what happens in these military schools and these places where the boys go to these wilderness places these because basically these are all it's not basically these these are all troubled teen industry institutions or tti for short there's a lot of brutality when it comes to the young boys the men the young men that go through these institutions i mean there's the beatings the dog fights the fighting camps, gladiator-style, just brutality that goes in there. On top of, you know, sexual abuse and things of that sort of nature as well. Which, from what I can, from what, when I did the interview with these three guys, they didn't have any sexual abuse stories, but there was a lot of brutality in their stories and what what they went through. These places still exist to this day. Hell, I even remember my mom threatened me to send me to, to military school and more than likely 
it had been the Bethel Boys Academy in Loosedale, Mississippi, because not too far off from Hammond, Louisiana, where I grew up at. So that probably would have been the place I'd have went to, more than likely, with them. Because we're all similar in age. And I probably would have been there shortly after they left. These places continue to grow. They continue to pop up and reopen. But thankfully, because of the TTI survivors who have been speaking up for the last few years now, people are starting to recognize these institutions and these places and what they really are and what they're doing to children. And places are getting shut down. But this is one of the stories of one of these places, of one of the many places that they've had over the decades. And yes, I did say that correctly. Decades. These places have been around since, I want to say at least the, for sure I know the 70s. Possibly into the 60s as well, if I'm not mistaken. But this is my interview with John, Dan, and Dave. Hey everybody, this is... Jeremy with the Manafort Podcast, and this is my interview with the Bethel Boys. Dan, would you like yeah, to uh, start with I'm your here. story? Sure. What do you want to know? <laughs> um, uh, start from the beginning, brother. Short version is, uh, you know, I was uh, a little bit of a troubled teen, not not too bad. I mean, I got into some some stuff early on. I was adopted, and. Uh, went through some stuff as a young kid. And then, uh, my adopted parents didn't, they were very, uh, very religious, very, um, not that there's anything wrong with that, but they were very strict fundamental Pentecostals. And, you know, it was church three times a week, no TV in the home, you know, uh, very, very strict religious family. And, uh, they were quite a bit older, my adopted parents. And so, you know, I, uh, kind of, uh, was a little bit of a rough kid or teenager, I guess. And it was more than they had bargained for. I got in trouble with the law um, around 12 years old. I was in juvie the first time at 12. Now that was because of a argument with my mom and uh, somehow the cops ended up getting called, whatever. But uh, yeah. right after that, they had decided they were going to send me to uh, a boarding school. And when we went to look at that place, um, I guess my parents didn't like it or, Something wasn't what they had wanted. So shortly thereafter, we had come back. And then about, I'd say, six or seven months later, I was getting ready to turn 14 because I did a year in Juvie. Um, I uh, heard about this boys' home they were thinking of sending me to, which ended up being Bethel. They took a family vacation, as they call it, drove down there to Mississippi, and, uh, you know, we drove in the place and, I'll never forget the red clay road going in. And, uh, you know, we pull up to this, this house and get out. And I mean, there was, uh, his pastor fountain, Herman fountain's wife was on the porch. And, uh, basically it was, you know, they, they took and she called Herman fountain out and introduced my parents and me to him. And, you know, he called a couple of the older senior cadets over and, uh, they took me over to the barracks to show me that. And that's my parents rolled out the, out the road. I never talked to them again until they came back about six months later. So, you know, it was 
from that point on, it was absolute hell from the time they rolled out that drive. So, I mean, that's, that's, it just, it, it messes you up when you see your parents leave, you don't hear nothing. You don't know what's going on. And yeah, I mean, it was insane. Then next thing you know, it's, you know, you're in a structured, like a completely structured from, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning when you're getting up till, you know, you, you go to bed at night, nine o'clock. I mean, there's, there's, you have no freedom. I mean, none whatsoever. And it yeah. was just, you know, that's, what that's about, the start of where mine went. Yeah. So that was like, uh, so what was the worst memory of your first day, by the way, too? Like, I, like after your parents, was it like your parents leaving you and, uh, and, and then they just start beating on you that first day or, or what happened that first day? My first, the first day, I mean, it sucked them leaving, but probably the worst memory was going up to that barracks and I took a swing at, <laughs> I was, I was, I was pretty tough kid. And, uh, yeah. they were yelling at me the second I got up there. Yeah. I, I took a swing at one of the guys and boy, did I find out that was the wrong thing to do. He was a big dude. And he, I mean, he was a kid. That was the thing yeah. that was probably the worst is they pitted the kids against the kids. And so it was, you know, but yeah, that would be definitely my worst memory was, you know, trying to get out of there right away and it not work. Yeah, you don't swing on a Bethel boy. That's right. No, especially not Nolan Durham. He's a big boy. <laughs> what about uh what about the staff though? Like 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 how did the staff treat you though when you were over there? Oh, uh, Listen, staff, it was all Herman Fountain's family, mostly. I mean, it was his his sons. There was Josh, there was John, and there was Herman, or Herman Jr., which we call Bubba. Um, okay. Those, th- those three were pretty much the staff. I mean, and then we had drill instructor Knott, who came very shortly after I got there. I mean, very shortly after I got there. But it was it was just, you know, like – the staff was honestly some of the older kids, they call them senior cadets. And yeah. uh, they, they were just, you know, most of them were all right. Um, Josh Fountain kind of had a mean streak in him and I don't blame him because his dad beat the tar out of him too. So there were times where he'd go for months where he had to sleep in the barracks with us. So, you know, he kind of had a mean streak. John, well, I don't know. John was John. Bubba, Bubba could get mean if he had to, but uh, Herman Fountain was just straight mean. There was no, there was no let up in him. So, yeah. but the worst was not by far. And he was there the entire time. Basically, I was on and off. What was the worst experience you had with not? Uh, there was a cadet that ran away, and uh, they had what was called fire watch. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I was on fire watching this kid ran and, uh, we were told that anybody ran to not kill him, but, you know, grab him, do what we had to do to him. And, uh, he ran and they found him a couple of days later and we got the tar beat out of us. I mean, I know I got beat bad. The kid got beat worse, but the guys who yeah. accidentally let him go got beat real bad. So, you know. It was, that's probably my worst 
experiences for our staff. I mean, we got beat every day. I mean, there, there's yeah. one way or another. I mean, we would get hit. We would get, we roll through ant hills. I mean, there's, there's a million things I could tell you, but yeah, it was, that was probably the worst. What about, um, what about some of the rules y'all they, they had to enforce on you and everything and, 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 and how they deal with you when you broke those rules? They would wear us out. I mean, the rules were, <laughs> you had to get, it was just, it was like a military. I mean, it was like being in the military. I mean, you would stand online, stand at attention. You would have to, I mean, for hours, there were times 12, 14 hours, we'd stand online. We'd stand online all night long and then have to get up and run seven miles. Um, you know, uh, five miles. It was, it was, it was crazy. But as far as like the rules, it was, you know, you didn't talk unless you were told to talk or requested permission to talk. You didn't, you know, look, you didn't turn your eyes the wrong way or you get hit. I mean, the hygiene inspections, uh, you know, it, it was just every single thing was micromanaged down to the, down to the second with everything. I mean, you had to have your clothes folded a certain way, your foot locker done a certain way. You're, you know, when I first got there, we had wall lockers. When I left, we didn't, but you know, everything had to be precise. Every time we'd go to church, and on a Sunday, I'd come back and there'd be literally stuff laying all over the grass because they'd go through the, the barracks and check stuff. And if any one little thing was out of place, I mean, everything would be tossed out the, out the windows, out the door. You'd have, you know, so many minutes to put it all back. Mm. I mean, there was, there was just tons of stuff that they did. I mean, the way they handled stuff was barbaric almost. Yeah. What about, um, so I, I know you and you and John and, and Dave are all friends now and everything. Were y'all friends back then? Did you have friends when you were there? You know, me and John the were there together at the same time. Um, okay. John was very Dave. I met through, you know, finding all the Bethel guys and uh, you know, but John was there when I was there. Um, he was very quiet, very I, I used to refer to him. He looked like a little mouse. Like he was so quiet, so timid. So how do I put it? He, he was just very, very passive. Very, very, you know, I was sheltered. reserved. John's yeah. a big yeah. guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. John's a big guy now, but he was yeah. very small then. I mean, he was very, and he got picked on a lot. Like, I mean, they, they went out of their way to brutalize him. He was very, very small. And there were other young kids there. He was young. He was what, John, what were you like 13, 12 or 13? I was 12 when I got there. I don't remember exactly when I got there and when I turned to 13, but I, I was about 12 years old when I was in there. I mean, I, yeah. So, I mean, um, he was very, very, he was young. There was a couple other guys that were, that were around the same age and, you know, they didn't even let him in their, their group of younger guys. Like, he very much got ostracized, and uh, yeah, yeah. he had it rough. One thing, Dan, too, I just I just want to end, uh, you know, not to interrupt you, but you got to realize Bethel Boys Academy was they would send kids from all over the U.S. I mean, there were kids there that had gang members, uh, all sorts of ranging of things from you know uh, molesting siblings. The the kids that yeah. were sent to Bethel were not were generally not your run-of-the-mill, uh, you know, get in trouble. They were very, very 
kids that definitely needed some help and needed some assistance. And to send somebody that's 12 or 10 or nine in with us when I was there, I was 16, but how are you going to help a, a child when you're sending them with these kids that have done things in their lifetime that these 12 year olds, 10 year olds and nine years old can't even comprehend yet. You think that's going to help them? So you know, put situation. I mean, hell, some of some uh, some of these kids do do things that most that most adults have never done in their lifetime either. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's a that, that's the scary part about it as well. I mean, there there is there is a need for places, you know, that we're supposed to be ran right for kids that go through these types of troubles and everything like that. But I've learned along talking to a lot of y'all, to a lot of you survive, you know, to a lot of the people that, that went through these places that uh, a lot of y'all didn't deserve to go through any of these things. And, 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 or, I mean, no, I mean, nobody deserves to go through any of those things, but nobody deserved to, to go to the, a lot of these kids didn't deserve to go to those places at all. I mean, just yeah. like yeah, it, it, was, them, it wasn't made for them. Well, another thing is, is broken homes. yeah, and a lot yeah. of it is, is, you know, you had certain, like when I got there, I got to say bye to my parents and stuff like that. They took me down there like Dave, like some people, they were woke up in the middle of the night at 2 AM, you know, and they were pretty much kidnapped and shackled and blindfolded. And they were taken yep. there by bounty hunters and stuff. It was, you know, and yeah, the could you imagine just the d- distress of not knowing really what you're, where you're going or not knowing, you know, have no, you know, you didn't have that last communication with your family. I mean, that's just, to me, that's just heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Cause. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I've, I've talking, I've talking to survivors that, that, that were, uh, that were transported and everything like that as well. I mean, that, that was the job that uh, I think one person I talked to was being groomed into doing as well. Um, well, well, Herman Fountain would give the families a choice. Like they'd be like, "Do you want me to send them that, uh, somebody down here to, to pick them up?" You know what I mean? He would yep. he would push he would push that on push that on the parents. They put he tried to push it on my parents. They're like, "No, we're not." We're, no, you know what I mean, so yeah. As far as go ahead, unfortunately, I think uh, you know I I've talked to a lot of people as well. I think one of the hardest things for anyone that's sent to one of these places is that these people that you're supposed to trust that you're, that are supposed to look out for you, that quote unquote, you know, love you and, and uh, that you're abandoned by them. You know, that's everybody, regardless, you know, everybody has a different situation, different story. Um, But what everybody has in common is everything you knew, everyone that was supposed to trust and love you in your mind had abandoned you. And these people that run these facilities, you know, especially at Bethel, were like, You know, those people that you think love you don't love you anymore, don't want you. You're not you're not you're not going home. And I think that really down. if you talk to a lot of us, that is despite the abuse or despite what anybody went through. That's one of the hardest things in life to get over that the people that you're supposed to love and trust uh, abandoned you. And, 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 you know, you can say screwed you over or whatever you want to say. That's just a real difficult thing i think that actually affects people through their entire life and you know so that is yeah so i just want to point uh, out that. and that's they, the stat they fed off that stuff they fed off of it yeah they wanted they wanted you to feel that way i mean well, and dave, that, that I, mind power control i guess you know well and what i was going to tell dave too is that uh i understand that feeling all too well um uh, we could do we can we can either do an episode on that one day or or or, or, or a couple bottles of whiskey on that one but, uh, <laughs> amen yeah yeah um 
so back to Dan and everything like that. I, you know, uh, did you, so did you have any good moments going through any of that at all? Like, was there anything like, did, did you have any funny stories or happy moments at all through all that misery there? I can say probably, I mean, I had, I have some good memories. Um, yeah. You know, I, I made a couple long-term, like, I wouldn't say we were friends. I mean, we are, we're all brothers because we all went through the same crap, but there was yeah. a couple that stuck out and that, you know, to this day, I, I jive with real well because of, you know, and I've talked to and, you know, and there was one or two that after I left, I did stay in contact with for a little while, but I'd say probably the best memories. And I know it's going to sound funny, but best memories there were the food. The food was awesome. If really? you had time to eat it, yeah, that I was it. You. I mean, that, that, that was, that's probably the only good memories I have of that place. Yeah. I mean, there was, there really was never a time where you got to just relax or hang out with the guys or, you know what I mean? There was, there was, yeah, there just wasn't any of that. You know what I mean? So for me, it was, I was there from, you know, early 98 to August of 99. I mean, a little over a year. Uh, that's that's 365 days plus of no real memories that are good at all. And yeah. Dave's absolutely right. Like that, the whole abandonment thing is is something that probably the worst part of it. Absolutely, especially I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know me being adopted. You already deal with that. You know, you're already that's the, yeah. you know something you already suffer from, and then having happen a second time. And for me, it was you know dealing with a place that once again was supposedly, and I know a lot of the guys deal with it to this day, it was supposedly a Christian home that was a, a Christian boys Academy that was supposedly using, doing the right thing. And they were completely doing the wrong thing. It's hard to trust anybody, even God, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's really yeah. difficult after you go through that. Yeah. I, uh, I, I know, I know I haven't given y'all enough of a chance to listen to any of my podcasts, but I, I, I struggle with my faith uh, coming across all these stories, not just TTI survivor stories as well, but all the other stories I've, I've come across. And um, especially when it comes to abuse in the church and things of that sort of nature. And I mean, th this is a form of church abuse as well, because uh, it's, it's under the guise of Christianity. It's uh, people who are claiming to be Christians who are, who are hurting children and everything like that. And it, uh, you know, this is the heinous side of Christianity. I never knew. You know, a lot of a lot of us, a lot of people, a lot of just, I, I guess, outsiders, normies, whatever you want to call us. We, we didn't know about the TTI because of how they operated and everything like that. They operated, you know, on, underneath the waters of, of, of everything. They 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 were, you know, sneaky about how they did everything. They were cults. They're, they're yeah. organized cults is what they are. Yep. Yeah. Well. And. You know, I mean, like like I told y'all on the phone and everything, too. I mean, uh, you know, 35 years old, I just found out a couple months ago about all this. And, yeah, yeah. It, it amazed me, because, me because, because, because the signs are all in front of us, too. And we just never opened up our eyes. I mean, the people have been speaking out. You know, I mean, you have uh, Paris Hilton and uh, you have some, some other, uh, what was it, Mad Barbie, uh, the uh, uh, Danielle Bergoli, Danielle Bergoli. Yeah, I mean, and 
I've seen the interviews with Danielle Bergoli on Dr. Phil and the way he edit, edits the edits the interviews and everything like that and made how her made her made her look the way she looked out and she became a freaking meme and everything like that. And then uh it, it's just like I'm I'm doing I learned so many other things about that uh, about Dr. Phil as well. And so I'm not trying to make this about Dr. Phil. Sorry, y'all. Um, but I mean, I know, it's just, no worries, but, uh, but real quick, I, I mean, I know all of us were, we're definitely not young anymore, but we remember Dr. Phil bringing those kids on their show. What do yeah. you want to do? Send them away. And the crowd is cheering, um, you know, yeah. and, and you just don't, you don't realize, you don't know what's going on in the home. And unfortunately, like you said, this has been under wraps for a long time. These industries, they fight to keep this under wraps. They, uh, unfortunately, these facilities, when they get too many counts of abuse or they get lawsuits against them or they get police involved, they actually shut down and they move to a different state. Um, and, and that's one of the issues. I'm sure we'll kind of get into it. But some laws in some states are less. Some laws in some states are better. And so what happens when you get too much abuse cases or too much attention on you in the state that you're in, you shut down, you open under a new name and you move to a different state and there's a lot of money involved in it. So, you know, not yeah. just for Dr. Phil, for these people that run the places, but it is one of the largest cash industries um, when it comes to children in the U S. So how many homes did he operate that got shut down? Dave, do you know the number on that? Well, he, he never moved locations, but he continued to change names. Change I think it names. Was changed- and one time it was called respect camp and then eventually uh, he got shut down in 2007 i believe and william Knott, who i know you guys will get into a little bit more he moved to pritchard alabama and he opened a home called restoration youth academy restoration youth academy he just basically took uh the you know what he did at bethel and he moved it to another location he even got a little more sadistic he would actually put kids in rooms and and put them in shackles above their head like you would do in a torture camp and and uh, beat kids and all sorts of crazy stuff eventually there was a guy called william kennedy who in our mind is just a, a champion because he was a, a hero he's a saint he's, yeah. a he's a hero and he basically fought to save these kids and get restoration Youth academy he he fought authorities he fought um governments and and he basically in the end pretty much lost his job because of what he did but in the end, yeah. he got Restoration Youth Academy shut down. He got all those kids saved and sent home. And William Knott got sentenced to, I think, 23 years in prison for child abuse. Yeah. So, and, he, and that was in 2017. And right? Kathy, he's still, he's, yeah. And he's still at it. He, it's not like he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's still at it. I mean, he has, I mean, Herman Fountain, the owner, has, still has one that's open that's uh, called Restoration something. And it's, uh, it's not Refuge. a kid's home. Oh, city of refuge. That's right. And it's, it's not a kid's home. It's a more geared towards young men and uh, uh, young adults, but it's like a drug rehab center. But I mean, you know, and I can't even say that, like what you said, Dave, I mean, it's, it's all about money. It seems like it it just, it boils down to, they might've started it for the right reason and they might've meant it originally for the right reason. And I'm not going to question their intentions, but it seems like once they've been in it for a little bit, they realize the money's there and they can have the power and the, the little bit of fame, whether it be in their town or, you know, the, the respect they get for having this, it seems like it turns them instantly evil. 
And that's why what, would you pick a twelve-year-old if it wasn't about the money or a ten-year-old? Yeah. Well, that's right. That's what that's what Herman Fountain taught. Not, I mean, that's what you know. He he taught he taught not that hey, you can abuse these kids and still make money off of it. You know, you can, and that's what he did. I mean, that's that's yeah. I, it breaks my heart when I hear that he actually opened up another facility. See, I, I didn't know all that. I, I mean, I mean, I do now, but you know, I'm new to this. Yeah. Eight, eight months ago is when I found out about all this stuff, and it's just it's wild. I mean, that they yeah. allowed that. One thing I know, uh, this is this is Alan Noel. He's a guy that really helps us out and works with us a lot and has just been amazing. But a great quote he says is, uh, "Not, but listen, when you're when you're uh, doing these facilities, you, you got to get results, right?" And I love Alan Alan's quote. He's like, "Well, you can kick a dog, and he'll listen. You give a kid love and attention and fix his problems, it's tough. But you kick a kid like you kick a dog or beat a dog. That's the best way to get them to submit." But that solves the problem in the long run you beat a kid in nope. a submission oh his parents are gonna be happy he's gonna come back yes sir yes ma'am you, yes i do what you say you give him two or three years uh it's not the same another monster beat someone into submission to get results and it is to actually address the problems and 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 help that child work through it and you know you mentioned religion too uh yeah, you know, that's that's really, in my mind, something that, that helps kids more than anything. And that was a responsibility that Fountain and all them had in their hands that uh, and failed. Yeah. I, I mean, he, we referred to him as Brother Fountain. I mean, he was the preacher, but he, I mean, he was no we brother. We still call him Fountain to this day. Isn't that funny? We're like, Brother Yo. Fountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The thing and is, I mean, guys, I, I, go ahead. We, we went through all that stuff, you know, but. I wouldn't take it back for nothing. And it, we built, you know, just being abused with p other people surviving all that stuff. It, it really, uh, it impacts you, man. It, I mean, it brought us all together. I mean, you look at the, look at us now. I mean, it, it, yeah. Well, um, um, brothers for life. Yeah. I don't know. So what are y'all doing? I mean, uh, so well, Dan, first off, what, what did you do when you got out though? Um, <laughs> within six months of me getting out, I got out when I was 16, within yeah. six months of me getting out, I was on my own. My parents realized just like Dave said, you, you know, you beat a kid into submission that that works, but it doesn't fix the problem. And within six months of me getting out, I was on my own within a year of me being on my own. I was incarcerated for the first time in in adult prison. Um, I ended up real bad. I mean, from the time I got out till two years ago, I was an IV drug user. Um, I was involved in organized crime. I got yeah. involved with motorcycle clubs. I mean, I did a lot of, a lot of real bad stuff. And it was all because if you can't trust somebody, you can't, you can't create normal relationships. If you've been beat down, told you're nothing, told you're worthless. Well, if you're worth nothing, what does it matter if you go to prison? What does it matter if you die shooting up? You know what I mean? Like you don't really care. Yeah. I mean, it destroys your relationships. It destroys, you know, anything you have. And for me, it was just, I, I, I left and, you know, became a monster and it was, it was, you know, bad, but I can honestly say, I know as far as we said about religion and everything, like, you know, those places were, were definitely, they abused religion. And it's not Christianity, it's religion. They they took what they had and used it as a tool and twisted it to for their own benefit. But I can tell you right now, if it wasn't for the good Lord, I'd be dead right now. So me personally, I have lots of faith. So you know, yeah. 
when a child goes to church, you know, they're supposed to, it's supposed to be a happy thing for them. When we went to church, it was actually scary. I mean, I, 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 you know, like yep. going in there, I mean, it was a scary thing to go is go to the church when cause everything was so militarized. I mean, it was, yeah, it was just, uh, yeah, uh, if, you, if you, if you read and you know, I mean, religion, God, Jesus is love, man. I mean, that's really yep. down to it's love your brother, right? Love your brother as yourself. Um, Absolutely. We did not experience love. No, 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 not, not at, at all. all. I mean, you can see in some of Herman Fountain's videos and stuff of what he thought about beating kids and stuff. I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong. I know, I know sometimes you got to discipline your kids and stuff, but the what the way he did it was, it was, it was very insane. Savage. It was very, yeah. I mean, yeah, listen, every kid, there's, it comes a time where you might need a, you know, a little whooping. I mean, I'm not opposed to, you know, Hey, I know I deserved a few growing up, quite a few. But there's a difference between getting a whooping and then after you're done getting a whooping, everything's fine. And you're told, look, this is why. This is what happened. This is why you got the whooping. And this is why you don't do that. You know, there's a big difference between that and getting beat every single day for every little thing. Well, the thing is, what if you got in trouble by Herman Fountain, you're going to get your you're going to get your ass beat. And then yep. when he got back to the barracks, uh, it started all over. And what they would do is they would turn other kids against you because what not was going to do, he was going to make everybody pay for that shit. Yep. And he was going to be enticing them to beat your ass and stuff. I mean, he was he was going to he was going. That's what he wanted. You know what I mean? He he turned these kids against each other. I mean, like Lord of the Fly style stuff. And I mean, well, that's the like full metal jacket blanket parties. Uh huh. Yeah. That's yeah. The- we <laughs> was there for a blanket party. We've seen a few of those. That's for sure. Tim Cornwell. Yeah. Yeah, real, real quick. That's the best way to keep your hands clean. I'm not doing it. It's these kids that are beating them, the other kids. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing with not. I believe that. Uh, well, we're not not, but with Herman Fountain, because I remember when we was there, me and Dan, we was getting investigated sometimes by like ch- child protective services. And the next thing yep. you know, you got not in there. And you know, I didn't understand as a child now, but now I put all this stuff together. What he did was he knew he was getting he he pretty much gave another man control of what he wanted done. You know what I mean? Like. And that's right. how he got out all that a lot of that stuff, you know. I mean, yep. plausible deniability. I mean, he trained a monster. He, he this guy was, I mean, a monster. I mean, he was huge. You know, yeah. one one thing, guys, not to interrupt. You can look up Herman Fountain online, Beth the Boys Academy. You can find a lawsuit with over two hundred charges. Things like kids holding onto electric fences, having pit bulls sicked onto them, drowned, resuscitated. Uh, shave cutting their entire body with razor blades all over their bodies uh, found zero guilt when it came to criminal activity but in civil court found guilty and has still never paid any of what he was owed to pay today mm-hmm. nope and how is he able to still even uh, uh, because he went to another state and everything right no, no he did not no, no he's, he's in Mississippi he's still in well, Mississippi isn't that, isn't that he's still in Mississippi law, is, isn't that where the law comes you know they, the separation church and state right because after all that abuse stuff, what he did is he they when they came and pulled the kids out of there, he ended up punching an officer, and they gave him a year in prison for that. You know what I mean? Not for all the stuff he did to these kids, but yep. And then the moment he got out of prison, what did he do? He reopened the facility. Mm-hmm. Yep. So where's so, our check balances in the system? We're dealing with kids here, vulnerable children. Yeah. How can you? And before that, he you know when he started his facility, um, from my knowledge, he was a heroin addict prior. And, uh, you know, so how can you have somebody that goes to prison, get out of prison and then restart a facility to take care of children? 
That's because the checks right. about the background checks, uh, the requirements from the law are not in place. And we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about a separation of church and state. Uh, religion, everybody has the right to practice their religion. You know, obviously we don't, we do not support and don't want the government impeding on anyone's religious rights. But when it comes down to housing children in a facility where you're housing them and, and, and looking over them, there has to be some sort of regulations there. And that's what we fight for. So, yeah. I mean, weren't, weren't they like, I, so when I've talked to a few survivors that look, that look into the financials of it all and everything like that, it was like, I, I heard, I heard of uh, figures and everything of maybe, and upwards of like five to thirty thousand a month per kid, or something like that, on certain facilities. Whether they if they got the insurance involved as well, or, or donations. It's just pretty much it depended on the kid and what his family was worth. I mean, really, I mean, yeah. And and, and how many, uh, Dan? How many people? How many kids you think were there when you were there? When me and Moody were there, I'd say at any given time between four, well between because there was a few girls there. On the yeah. girl side, Sabrina was one. Um, yeah. But uh, I'd say at any given time between 40 to 60. The thing is, and, you, there's a lot of people that came in and out of there. So there was kids that came there and left and came back. They would try to commit suicide or something bad would happen to them. And they just they would just never come back. You just, you'd always yeah. wonder what happened to them. You know what I mean? But Yeah, before Bethel shut down in like 2007, I think they had attendance of – 200 kids up to 200 kids at a time and they did have a girls home as well and you know we call ourselves the bethel boys but there's those bethel girls out there too and they're they're yeah. just as strong and they're they went through just as much so yep. oh yeah well when me and, when me and moody were there we built the girls home yeah i mean we worked on the girls home up there in hasburg and uh hey I they mean, wore was... them out they wore them out too just like grown men sometimes too i mean yep. yeah uh wood piles and everything that sabrina would tell me she would be doing all the time uh, uh I mean, they did, they, all day they made her they they did her wrong they made yeah but uh what was his name uh bubba he made her go out in the field pick cotton yeah you know and she's a you know a, a mixed girl right yeah. yes and yeah in our chow hall i mean i, I don't you know i I believe that, you know, people from different places in the United States, they have their heritage and all that stuff, but they engraved that kind of stuff in us, you know. And, well, General Lee was in the chow hall. Yeah. Gen, yep. And even though that not was a black guy, Herman Fountain was a racist. I promise you. Absolutely. I mean. 100%. Some of the only bad words was allowed to say was, the, you know, you know what words. I mean. that. Yeah. The, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, was, yeah. I was from Seattle, right? I never yeah. experienced racism and uh, it, it really opened my eyes. And, and the crazy thing was too, uh, uh, he called us real racist things that he just despised us in general. That was the word he used because he just despised the person. And uh, it's, yeah. it's so to see that stuff. I don't want to get on the topic, but yeah, uh, no, no, no. I got, I got you. We were down in Mississippi and that place was a culture shock to me. I was going, what in the world? Where have I gone? What the hell is happening? <laughs> I remember, yeah. when I remember when I came down there. I mean, it was not about cotton fields and pine trees. It was yeah, it was wild. Uh, yeah, well, when, Dave. There was only one one barracks there, one one dorm there when you were there, right? Yeah, we were starting to build the second one in that little, uh, I think, a new mop house when I left. Yeah, they didn't have the second one yet. Yeah, they didn't have the. I mean, by ninety when we left Moody, they still didn't have the second one. They only had the one, and they had the they had built the. You talking about the laundry? 
they had the laundry room and then they had those back buildings where the staff used to stay over by the church and the school and stuff. Yep. Yeah. But they only had the one barracks, right? Yeah. Well, they had the one yeah. barracks, but we had two levels. Yeah, I got the. Yeah. Uh, by, the time, by the time they got yeah. shut down, there was how many of them? Two barracks and a, and a girls' home. You know, I actually got the. Uh, I guess I call it a privilege. I got the privilege to go back to Mississippi and Lucidale and go walk the grounds of Bethel. And uh, they tore everything down. I think they tore it down in 2019. Um, the church is still standing. I actually attended the church, and it's amazing to see. I sat in those same pews that I sat in when I was a kid. And uh, this is a little off subject, but it was so great to see. We know what happened, but it's owned by new owners and new people. And it was so amazing to see that that church that we went through and sat through and all the crazy stuff is actually now being used for good. Um, yeah. But the most powerful thing for me was to walk down, like Dan, you mentioned, I walked down that that dirt road again where I was where I came as well. And uh, they tore everything down. But uh, where the, the dorms were, they got two dorms there. They tore everything down, but they left the tile on the dorm. And it was the weirdest thing. I Everything was torn down and you had the ant piles and all the stuff. And I stepped into that dorm again and I put my feet on that tile walked right in that front door and it was a flood of memories. I mean, it was like I was there again. It was the most craziest thing, but um, they expanded. They kept growing. They started with the one dorm and then they added the girls facility, I think, and eventually moved off site to Hattiesburg. Then they added a second dorm. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a home there. I I was a lead painter, man. I, we built a home for him. We, these slave labor, these slave labored us out. I mean, we, we would take dump trucks he would buy used beat up dump trucks covered in rust. And we would sit there for two weeks, scraping the rust off the dump trucks and then repaint them. I paved a road in uh, the middle of summer. And, and I oh. guarantee we weren't doing that for free. He wasn't just doing that to get us out there. You know, you get out there and pave the road. You know, you could get the, you could get the, the leveler out there and level that out. Now we're stomping on the road as we're paving. Yep. It. We was marching in formation. We'd, we'd march in formation because he wanted to cut costs by not having a, a, roller out there rolling out you know what i mean leveling it out flattening it out so if we'd go out there and march for hours why not yep. you got the boys <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right yeah. was that now what, 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 now when when y'all when y'all were stomping out the pavement and everything like that was that like fresh hot hot asphalt too on top oh of yeah it? and you got that mississippi oh, heat. God, you got yeah that. Uh, i mean we're just like i'll never yeah. forget that well, those, you know, the t- I, I, those are the times I enjoyed the pond, you know, just be able to jump in the pond and that pool and stuff was, even though we had yeah. so many bad memories and those things, but is that Mississippi well, heat? Uh, look, all three of y'all know I live down here in, in, in Satan's butthole, which is Louisiana and everything like that. Uh, <laughs> so I promise you, I, I definitely know about that Mississippi heat as well, too. It's uh, it's bad, bad. Uh Oh yeah, and then yeah, and it's more wooded out there than it is where I where I live at. I mean, you go, you got all all the mosquitoes out there as well too, uh, just biting on you and every other little type of bug ticks. Um, I mean, it, it's every time I went hunting in, in Mississippi and everything like that. I mean, just I'd come back with ticks all up all up on my legs and everything mm-hmm. from the woods. So, dude, it was yeah. dangerous out. It was really dangerous out there. Like when me and Dan and them had to do the war game stuff, we'd have to go out there and. I mean, they would make us. It was oh, it was crazy. But anyways, uh, they had yeah, these what, holes. They had these holes in the ground. They were like big geysers, like not geysers, but uh, like foxholes, no, like sinkholes. Like there was like a river okay. that was under the ground. You know okay, what I mean? yeah, it was, it was dangerous. You know. Yep. You kind of watch where you step and shit. 
what so so they made y'all do war games like like what like what did y'all do in the war games kind of like how like a military like like military war game drills and stuff like that with ammo and everything or no we it's you had your fists and sticks and you beat the shit out of each other <laughs> pretty much Facts. i mean yeah. <laughs> I mean, it started as like capture the flag type style shit, but you knew better. Yeah. Capture the flag, I, it turned into I a, knew, a mob yeah, war. It, it wasn't better. capture the flag; it was tackle that dude and mess him up. And then you get a. <laughs> so well, I, I they had sure a that, you what? I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, I just knew. I, no, knew never, a, I never knew to grab the flag because if I grew, I knew I was going to get my ass whipped. So I was I never touched it. So well, remember playing football? Well, not with a football, but. They called it smear the They'd make us yeah. Pl- yep, absolutely. Yeah. You want to talk about a melee of boys just beating the tar out of each other? Smear the quitter? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. even even my a buddy of mine, Ron Coleman, we was out there playing one day, and I can't remember what happened, but uh, Bubba and Josh got mad at him. And I remember we, you know, we was playing smear the quitter, and uh, and uh, he ended up kicking a. Uh, Ron in the leg. I mean, he, he kicked it so hard it caused him to have a big old boil on his leg. He ended up getting an infection, had a chance of losing his leg, all kinds of stuff like just Yeah. One time when I was doing that as well, a really good friend of mine, uh, uh, Robert Aaron Rudd, we were there together. Rude. Sorry. But uh, I'd never seen blood clots come out of a person's nose like that in my life. I mean, handfuls yeah. of blood. Mm-hmm. Just, just like, dang. <laughs> They definitely taught you how to get yeah. your ass whipped. So, I mean, that's that was one thing you learned. And there ain't a soft one of us that went there. That's for sure. Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I might ask a very heavy question. And uh, and if y'all don't want to answer, y'all can just say we're not going to answer. But were there any boys that were there that, that you know, died while, while y'all were there? Not that I know. We had one that swan dived off the – he tried to commit suicide. He ran out the barracks door and took a flying leap off the off the second floor stairwell, right where the stairs came out of the second floor of the barracks. Took a flying leap right down onto the concrete. I was down there about there what happened. I was down the stairs when it happened. Yep. Holy shit, man. Yeah. Uh, we had a kid. Drank rubbing alcohol. I mean, there's kids that attempt, trying yep. to attempt suicide all the time. I mean. If you did yep. that shit, you're going to go back on orientation. You're going to get your ass whipped, you know. Instead of having like a counselor come in and like talk to him about, hey, this you don't, you know, no, you're going to get your ass whipped for. No, they put you like back that. in the worst spot possible, which was orientation. That orientation was anywhere yeah. from a week to a month of the worst hell. I mean, you were singled out. You were by yourself. You were away from everybody, and you literally didn't get a break. I mean, there was no. And not to go back I mean, in, they, in time, but go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. I was talking about how, you know, when we first got there, you know, there's people that were on different mounts of orientation and stuff. And I believe the reason they did that is, you know, before they would let you talk to your parents or write a letter or anything, they made sure that you were good and brainwashed because, you know, they didn't want you to tell what you, you know. So that's why it took me a long time to get off orientation, you know, and was because of that, you know, and. Yeah, one one thing to say, too, uh, we were fortunate enough at Bethel that uh, nobody did die. But one of the things that was eye-opening for me when we started all this, you know, and this was 2016, that there's facilities all over the U.S. that still operate, and there's been multiple deaths at these facilities, multiple kids yep. from uh, different reasons, different variations. Um, if you look up 2000, 2007, 2008, there was actually um, Congress did a hearing about these facilities, and, and they, they presented to Congress that 10 different kids had died 
at X amount of time at these facilities and Congress at the end of it did nothing about it. So yep. uh, kid, kid, kids die. They do die at these places, which is just horrible yeah. to think about. No, and we were lucky enough. No one died to my knowledge, but it doesn't mean, of- it doesn't mean real quick. It does not mean that these kids did not die from drug overdoses from uh, uh, heroin suicide because of a result of it. They may not have yes. died at the facility, but I know personally kids that have died and people that have died because of what they went through and they couldn't cope. Mm. They either die or go, end up in prison. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's one guy that comes to mind right after he got out of Bethel. He lived in Loosedale. He lived in Mississippi right in the same town where the home was. And literally a, a couple weeks, it wasn't, it wasn't more than a month or two, after he left there, he was killed. And, you know, it just, like, that place did not stop your lifestyle at all. I mean, it did not. Yeah. If you went there in trouble, you left even more trouble. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say one thing. A lot of you guys probably don't know about this, but there's actually a person. I don't have his name off the top of my head. Um, he he murdered people, and he was tried on death row. And uh, you know, one of the things that was put in his court documents, and and I can get the name and figure it out. I just don't have it on top of my head. But he put the reason why he did what he did was he was at Bethel, and uh, he still got sentenced to death, and he was executed. Wow. The kid who swan dived off the kid who swan dived off the, the stairwell ended up burning his parents' house down with them in it um, about two and a half years after he got out of Bethel. Yeah. The kid who ran away that was on fire that I, when I was on Firewatch, he ended up ending up on a, a what do you call it? Megan's Law or whatever you call the sex offender website. Like oh, oh, the place yeah. did not yeah, the yeah. place did not do any of us any good. And none of these homes, none of these these places that they put kids in, whether it be Bethel, whether it be, you know, Agape, any of the places that have been shut down or should be shut down, it's never done. I don't think it's ever done a single kid good. No. I mean, I really can't say that. Yeah, there's, there's, not, there's none of them that I've heard so far that, that has done any good. I'm, I'm sure there's at least a few out there, but there's we know, way we know more. Yeah, I mean it's it's it's, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, I'm sure there's some out there that 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 do it the right way and help kids and yeah, and that's, but, that's really why these these facilities need to be regulated. If you're going to have kids' yep. lives put in your yeah. hands, uh, you got to do the do it correctly because you're so vulnerable when you're a child, right? And you go through the abandonment and like for me, it was just the loss of everything. I was there was so much potential to do so much good for me. I mean, how many times if, if, you know, you're a person, how many times in your life have you ever been in a situation where you've lost everything and nothing matters, right? And when when you're at a point like that and nothing matters and you don't care about anything, you have this amazing opportunity and potential to change lives so much. And every single one of us went through that, right? And that's where I look at Fountain. I'm like, why why weren't you the person that I could look up to? Why aren't you the person when I'm sitting down with my kids, I have three kids, and they're talking about, you know, their life and my life, and I tell them the story of Bethel. Why can't I say, I went to this place that changed my life? It was tough. Me, I I was in trouble. I needed help. It was tough. I needed help. But there was this man named that changed my life. He had every opportunity to do that. It, it could have been, you know, 
I, I could look up to the man. I could, and so many people could have, but instead I can't. So, you know, you with great, right. That's a stupid, that's a stupid little Spider-Man thing with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Right. And he had every opportunity, every opportunity. Yep. And the thing that's is, is a lot of those kids, a lot of, you know, I'm not saying some people didn't, but you know, your self-worth, you know, a person has their self, you know, your self-worth, but when you showed up there, you might've had it, but when you left there, you didn't have, you feel like you had no self-worth, you know what I mean? Like that's, they, they took that away from you. I mean, yeah. Go ahead, John. Uh, that's all I was, was going to say. Oh, okay, okay. No, no. Yes, it's, uh, you know, your self-worth means a lot. When you, when you know you're worth something or you're important to somebody, that means a lot, you know what I mean? When they take that yeah. away from you, that, that to me, that's just selfish, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're pretty much treating yeah. them like a dog. You're training them to do what you want them to do. I mean, what he wanted us to do was he wanted to make money off of us, and he wanted us to build his little compound that he had there. And that's how, what I believe, I mean. That's what, that's what it seems like talking to a lot of y'all that went over there and everything as well. Uh, Dan, I know we talked about what you did when you got out of when you got out of uh, Bethel and everything like that. And now that you've been in recovery and everything like that, and you've been you know on a better path in life, what are you doing with your life now, though? Well, unfortunately, I'm disabled. I was a truck driver for 15 years, even throughout yeah. everything, bouncing in and out of prison. But uh, I have now. I have, well, I have a bunch of kids myself. I have four kids and I have basically three adopted kids. One just graduated from Paris Island. He's a Marine now stationed in 29 Palms. My oldest son is about to have a baby of his own. Um, I got three daughters that still live at home. Um, the youngest is 13. So, you know, I got my hands full, but at the same time, like, you know, I've had two failed marriages and, you know, you don't trust anyone, but the good part is, you know, I have God on my side. I, I have faith. I, I yeah. didn't let things turn me away from, from that. And now that I have, you know, a better outlook and I've realized, look, you know, that place doesn't have to dictate who I am. It, it might've dictated what I was for a while, but once you let go of that hate and that bitterness, you can, you can get past it and, I mean, I forgive them. I forgive William Knott. I forgive, you know, Herman Fountain. I don't have any animosity towards them. I mean, if you had asked me that a few years ago, I'd have probably, I don't think I could have said on this podcast what I'd like to have done. You know what I mean? But now I yeah. don't have any hater animosity. And uh, now I actually, um, I, I take in, uh, as my dad called it before he passed away, both my adopted parents passed away in the last few years. But before my dad passed away, he, uh, he kind of laughed and he joked and said, you keep taking in strays. He's like, you keep doing that. He's like, you're going to help a lot of people. That's what I do. I take in kids off the street. Like I said, I've adopted a couple. Um, you know, I have some people who live, I have a pretty big property here in PA. So, um, you know, I got a couple people that live on my property that I've pulled off the street that are, you know, recovering drug addicts. I, I I'm trying to, to make a difference because you, you have people who have gone through what, me, Dave, John, you know, a lot of other people have gone through and they, a lot of people don't make it a positive, mm -hmm. but if yeah. I can take and I can help one person with what I went through and it, it either helps them get through what they're going through or it helps them not have to go through what I went through and what we went through, then, then everything I went through or we went through is worth it. You know what I mean? Like it. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much my, my, uh, philosophy on things and what i'm doing now and it's that's just my whole goal is if i can change a few lives and 
do it the right way rather than trying to, you know, make money or get powerful or, you know, have any fame or glory from it. I don't want any of that. I just want some, somebody's life not to have to go down the road or keep going down the road that mine did. So that's, that's pretty much all, you know, all I do. I, I, like I said, I'm disabled. I sit at home and I help people and, you know, run my kids around. I'm a glorified Uber. We have a few people, we have a few people in our group that are like the big brothers and, and, you know, Dave and, and Dan, these are the people you can talk to, you know what I mean? Like he's, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, what's good about this group. It's not about, it's not about, you know, they taught, they've taught me not to be a victim, but a survivor, you know, and, and absolutely and now that the stuff we talk about it's all about the youth you know i mean getting all this stuff changed you know and making sure that this doesn't happen to you know these kids and i mean you know that these kids are our future you know and yeah that's why i fight that's why that's why i speak out against a lot of these issues and fight because i want to make you know part of me wants to make this world a better place for the kids coming up and 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 to keep kids safe and everything as well Mm -hmm. because yeah, it just just as a regular man, I mean, you know, like a lot of us, I think in, it's ingrained in us as men, or at least it was ingrained in me as, uh, you know, when I was raised up, you know, to protect children, to protect women. Absolutely. To, to, to protect those, you know, that are weaker or more vulnerable than yourself. And that's what a man is supposed to do in this world. That's that's supposed to be the standard in men. Yeah. And I think we've I think uh, men have lost their way in that uh, some time ago. But our generation and the younger generations are starting to see where that's failing and they're stepping up and standing up as well. And so many other, so many other people are joining those types of different fights and causes as well. And, you know, this is the TTI survivors is one of them. Um, you know, I, I just, I'm here for all the survivors, man. I'm here for all the survivors, all traumas. And because my grandfather instilled in me a long time ago, like I know how Dave was talking about how he didn't have somebody to, to tell his kids about, you know, that you know that he could look up to and everything i mean i i do though you know i had i had my granddaddy he he you know he was a victim uh you know he was a survivor of of domestic violence growing up i mean his dad his dad my great granddaddy beat the hell out of my great grandmother and all his children and my my granddaddy said no i'm not going to do that to my wife i'm not going to do that to my children i'm not going to do it to my grandchildren and he he made good on that promise he was married to my grandmother for 42 years and he never once laid a hand on her. You know, he, was he perfect? No. Did he deal with some trauma issues that he, that he needed therapy for? Absolutely. But he did try to break generational curses the best way he could and still, and still goodness into those around him. So he broke that chain. You know what I mean? So think about what his, his dad or his grandpa went through, you know, why, why did he do that? You know what I mean? And it's probably because he went through something similar than, you know, a lot of these kids that, like us went through, you know, I mean, yeah. that's what we was taught, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, and, and, and like a lot of people when they don't, you know I mean? In, in this day and age, you know, or in this day and age now though, men's, men's mental health is, is, is starting to get promoted a lot better than it was the last decade or couple of decades ago. Um, this was somebody that went, you know, was a man in the sixties and seventies, right. Where it was, you rub dirt on it and you walk it off and you don't talk about that shit ever. <laughs> or you're, or, or you're just a fucking pussy, you know, and yep. right. You know, and, and, and don't deserve to have a woman. Like that's the type of mentality he had to grow up in. So, I mean, obviously alcoholism, you know, drinking alcohol to, to, to drink your problems away. That was the thing that a lot of men did back then. And that, you know, I'm, I mean, it did lead to a lot more problems for other people from my grandpa. It, you know, it just, 
he just got drunk and his worst thing was maybe driving home and everything back before, you know, drinking and driving was an issue talked about as well. Yeah. And, that's uh, one thing I want to say real quick, Jeremy, on that is, uh, uh, Dan and, uh, John, right. I mean, you, if you could see all of us, uh, not to sound stereotypical, but there, we're men's men, right. We, we call ourselves the Bethel boys. We, we went, we went through a lot yeah. worse and it really takes, a bold person to come forward, especially a guy with that stigma, the stigma you just talked about, like we're supposed to be tough. We're supposed to rub dirt on it to come yeah. forth and talk about these things and to share emotions. And unfortunately, you know, we're a group of a few, but there's millions and millions from vets to you name it, you know, guys go through yep. crap too. And I'm just yeah. so impressed. And I'm, uh, you know, amazed to see these guys come out and share their stories and share what happened to them. And like Dan said, it's going to, it's going to help another person. And that's really what it's about. So it's, you know, I give amazing congrats and kudos to all these Bethel boys that are coming out and sharing what went through them, what they went through. Cause it's so, it's so tough, right? You just, it's, it's just so tough. So it's, it's really awesome to see people doing that. Well, yeah. what another thing is what's good about these groups like this is, you know, I've tried to talk about this stuff when I was younger to people and stuff like that, but it was so outlandish. Nobody believed you, you know, and now you got all these brothers that back you up your stories, you know, and all that stuff. And so, I mean, and it took me what it took Dan, probably it took Dave all it took us, it, you know, you're talking about over 20 years to really to come out about this kind of stuff, you know, like 24 yeah. years. It's the same here. I mean. Just you know, things get swept under the rug, you know, and you, you stay the same. You stay that same person, you know. But like when I first got into this group, I've changed a lot. Just I mean, just I was I wasn't mentally right, you know. When I when I when all this stuff, it was like a flood of memories and stuff, you know. But now I'm learning how to direct this into better things, you know. I mean, I mean, yeah. So, and and the, and the longer people in general. Uh, whether it's guy, girl, whoever you are, it doesn't matter. But the longer you keep that in, bottle that in, and stay silent, um, nothing's going to change. Exactly. Yeah. And the worse it gets, the worse it gets. And, and, and for people to be like that, you really don't understand. Like it, it affects their home life. It affects the way they 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 treat their wife or treat their kids. I mean, it, it does a lot of stuff. You know, when you bottle that stuff up, you know. I mean, it I affects know, everyone it, around. It does. I will, Everybody. I will tell y'all, I will tell y'all that, uh, so I, so I talked to some trauma counselors and stuff like that and people that are involved in the psychology of, of trauma and things of that sort of nature. And it doesn't matter what the trauma is as far as like, like what's happened, but if there's any kind of trauma that you, that you have in your life that you haven't resolved or, or dealt with, whether it's through therapy or, or, or counseling or whatever the case may be, what happens is with, with, with unresolved trauma is that it can cause psychosis in that person later on in life. And it can become volatile for like, if, especially if you're in a relationship, right? You, you know, you tend to lash out against your uh, partner in a very psychotic, uh, like psych psychosis induced type way. Uh, and there's different ways that it happens. Uh, look, I'm not, I'm not the man with the big brain science and everything like that. I just, these are from what other people have told me, but well, I, half I noticed been through that. So, what, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, that's like when yeah. I get, I, I, I don't start getting like, there's no little mad with me. It's either I'm full blown gonna do some bad stuff, you know, and it's, it's taken a lot of years to be able to tame that down, you know. And yeah, so. I got two failed marriages to prove that you're you're telling 100% truth. And I've been well, yeah, married, and, and I've look, been married, divorced. 
Yeah, and and and, and like and like uh, and when when Dave was talking about all that and everything, it was it just it that that thought just rang rang in my head like so loud. And you don't even have to be a survivor of the TTI or anything like that. I mean, this goes across different traumas as well. Some is ranging from you know incest, uh, 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 rape, child molestation, child sexual assault, but it also can go from um, uh, rejection trauma as well. Uh, divorce trauma. I mean, they, they have all different kinds of traumas that, that, that affect people differently. And I know that some might sound more severe than the others, but they have, if, if, there, if there's issues that become unresolved and everything, they, they lead to bigger issues later on as well. And they can even lead to like, uh, like different type of mental disorders like DID or, uh, or multiple personality. And, and it's just, it's just a way of the mind trying, trying to defend itself uh, it, it's like a natural uh, defense mechanism that kicks in to where it, it, it protects the mind from shattering and everything. And that's why some of these things come about is from these traumas. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I say one thing real quick. Oh, yeah. yeah what, uh, I, I, I was going to well, say, as far as, go ahead. Uh, so I, I just want to say one thing because you're, you're touching on something that's real personal to me. And I think I, I see that a lot from talking to a lot of these guys. Seek help, whether it's counseling, anything like that. Me personally, and I, I know with a lot of us that went to Bethel and uh, these places, um, we were harmed by people that were supposed to be Christians and religion. And I know there's there's churches that, that have abused lots of people and, and the abuse goes on and on. And people I talk to so many people that tell me. I want nothing to do with God because the people that claim to be religious abused me right and and for yeah. me the only thing that could help me personally and has helped me i would be dead just like all my friends i just had a friend uh pass away two weeks ago from a fentanyl overdose my other friend uh a fentanyl overdose six months ago my best friend a year and a half ago i mean literally every year i go to friend funerals of friends that either died or overdosed and Did for I me mean. the only thing that could ever get me through it and, and give me the mentality i have is god and jesus that i that i love the Lord. absolutely and I just want to say, and Dan, you'll probably touch on this with me as well, but I just want to say, don't shut God out. Or don't give him a chance because of what man did to you, because God is not man. And, and we have Amen. free will and everybody can say they're doing something. But really, for me, the only thing that could help me and save me was God and, and his love. It's the only thing that's got me through. It's the only thing that's it's made my, my amazing, my marriage amazing, and it's really brought me to this place. And, uh, Dan, I'll let you touch on it a little bit because I know me and you kind of share the same thoughts, but I just wanted to interject there real quick. I was going to say what I was going to say real quick before you said that was, I mean, it doesn't matter what trauma you have. I think it all comes back to that whole, and you just touched on it again, that trust. We put our trust or our parents put their trust or the people that we, and like Moody even said, you know, he tried to tell people his story, but nobody believed it. So you, you, you're supposed to trust people and the very people that you're supposed to trust to have your best interests at heart are the ones that either a don't believe you. Cause I mean, I, I have no problem saying it. When I was a young kid, I was molested. I tried telling my parents, they didn't believe it. They were old school. You didn't talk about that stuff. So me saying yeah. it didn't really matter. They didn't believe it, but any kind of trauma, when you don't, when you talk about it and people don't believe it, and then the people that did the trauma to you are ones you were supposed to trust, it's going to cause you a whole level above of, 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 of trauma. You know what I'm saying? And it's, but as far as what you were saying, Dave, I mean, I can tell you for a stone cold fact, 
I've been shot. I've been, you know, I've overdosed. I've been through prison. I've, you know, I, I literally, I can tell you stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And if it wasn't for God, I'd be dead. I mean, I would absolutely, I've gone to, in the last 10 years, I've probably gone to 25 funerals. And it's, it's just because of suicides, overdoses, and it's all trauma related. And I'm telling you right now, God is not the person who hurts you. God is not the person or the thing that hurts you. People can misconstrue the Bible. They misconstrue God for their own benefits. Listen, it's, it's happened since the dawn of time, since the Bible was written, since Jesus walked this earth. People have abused that, that book to fit their own agenda. I mean, more people have been killed and abused and hurt in the name of religion than anything else in the history of the world. However, that doesn't mean that's God. That's man. We have free will. What we choose to do with it is what we choose to do with it. And I can tell you this. If I didn't have a firm faith right now, I would have swallowed the business end of a barrel a long time ago. But I know that everything I went through was for a reason. I mean, Romans 8, 28 says all things work together for good. That's where most people stop. No, no, no. All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And if he didn't have a purpose or plan for us, we wouldn't be here. Moody wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Dave wouldn't be here. So the guys and the people, the women, the, the men who have made it through these things and are survivors, there's a purpose for us. And if nothing else is to tell other people what we went through so that they don't have to go through the same path or send their kids to a place like that. And that's yeah. using our free will for the good. Yeah. Hey, what do you guys think about this? You know, if Mississippi back then had a law stating that like, these guys that own these places had to have proper training, you know, like to, to know that like no trauma, you know, know about what they can do to kids with all that stuff. You know, you think it would have been different. You know what I mean? Like just if, if he, if he would have known like what kind of trauma he could cause by the way he, you know, treated us and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think so. I mean, my thing is that you, I think people need to be educated in that for people to open a place like that. I think they need to be educated in that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, here's the, here's the thing, John, you don't, uh, uh, we just, myself, Alan and a big team of us, dude, we just got a law passed in Missouri that does just that. Alan Noel spearheaded, uh, this, uh, Alan Noel, not just Alan, but others, uh, yeah. they spearheaded this bill that we got passed. And that's one of the things that's required. It's not going to solve the problem, but it's going to help. It'll like, help. You know, you get people background checks. You can't go to prison for something you did to children and then get out and, and watch children. You can't go to prison for abuse and then come out and watch children. There needs to be background checks. Mm -hmm. um, there needs to be one of the things is, you know, law enforcement needs to be able to come and check on the welfare of kids at any time. There needs to be a line that's unmonitored where if there is trauma or an emergency, kids can call. Um, so we're working on it. Really what we need, we keep doing this state to state, right? We've been doing it state to state. We, we're going to make a push and we need a national bill that says, look, if you're housing children from out of state uh, for more than 72 hours, there are checks and balances that we need to put in place. And really, when, when we can get the nation to know this is going on, like Jeremy, you mentioned, I haven't even heard about this. So many people haven't heard about this, but if we can get the nation 
and, and our government to pass a bill to protect these kids is not going to solve the problem completely, but you're going to see a lot less cases of abuse. You're going to see, like Dan said, it takes us 20 years, or John's 20 years to talk about this stuff. You're going to see in 20 years from now, you're going to see a lot less people talking about how they were abused, and you're going to hear more people saying how they were helped. If we can yeah, regulate. Right. And that's the, that's the good that came from the what bad happened to us. You know what I mean? That, that's why, I yep. mean, and there's no, there's nobody else better to explain these kind of stuff is than a person that's went through it personally. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's what, like that scripture you just said, Dan, uh, Dan, it was, I mean, this bad thing that happened to us, dude. I mean, it's, it, it it's actually, a it good works thing. for good. Yes. yes. Yep. So. Yeah, I think I think and I think that's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people that are still on their healing journey and everything as well. Um, I'm, but I'm not I'm not discrediting it or, or, or trying to, uh, you know, uh, this this you from saying that it's, it's a very good it's a very good verse in the Bible and it's a well-known verse as well. And uh, it's it is refreshing to know that because I have stepped away from my faith. And it, 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 you know, for a long time, and it's because I've seen I've seen. The underside of Christianity as well. I've seen the abusive side of it, and then I, it was just other things as well that happened that I just I had to step away for a while and really reconfigure myself. And there's a reason why a lot of a lot of, a lot of people who are survivors of these crimes and and, and and these heinous acts and everything don't don't go go to the church or don't talk to Christians or pastors and everything like that because some of this stuff does happen in our churches as well. And I mean, like, like Bethel boys, what, what was a faith-based program as well. And, um, and all of uh, us experienced abandonment. There is, there is a God out there that will never leave you. That will always be there. Every single thing that you lost, there is a God out there that loves you. Yeah. And that's the thing. God, God doesn't do the bad stuff to you. People do. And that's the thing. You can walk away from your faith. You can, you know, uh, trust me, I've, I've had my fights with God more times than I can count. Right now, as we're talking, I'm looking at my, my mantle over my fireplace. And my daughter's urn is sitting up there. You want to talk about fighting with God? How could God let a little child die? Okay? There's times where you can, you can argue and fight with God and say, well, why did bad stuff happen? But it's not God who causes us to have these problems. Not only that, but we might not know something. You know what I mean? Like my daughter died of some, some medical conditions. Guess what? It could have been way worse for her down the road. And it would have been worse for me if I would have had those years to become even more attached yeah. than when she passed away. So you got to look at all the factors. You can't just look at, you know, so this bad happened by these people who claim to be Christians. It's not God. Okay. And, and, you know, the devil's real, you know what I mean? That, that's a, yeah. that's a straight up statement. The devil is real. And, and he, you know, it says, it says in the Bible, he was placed in authority over the earth when he was cast out of heaven. Why? Because God wanted to give us a chance to use that free will. Just like the devil had free will. He was cast out of heaven. He chose to try and fight and be better and bigger than God. And God said, okay, you want to be bigger in your britches? Go ahead. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. and that's the thing, you know, evil is, is behind a lot of the trauma that has hurt these kids, has hurt us as, as, as adults or, or as children. And, you know, it, that you can't sit there and blame it on God. And a lot of people do. And I, I understand. But well, Dave, I can tell you. Dave, 
Dan, look at this. So you you had to walk away from your faith, dude, to be to be more empowered with it. You know what I mean? Like you had to. Sometimes you got to walk away, and you know, I mean, and then not saying I walk had to away, see the evil I mean, before I could yes. see the good again. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. just like it's just like a firearm. The, the gun don't kill the person; the person kills. You know what I mean? It's it. Yeah. So and it's you know it's it's how you use it, man, and that's what a fountain did. And he used it for his, his personal stuff. You know, his, his the mind control and the all that stuff. You know, what I mean, absolutely. Yeah, and all the manipulation and everything that goes with it. Um, man. I, I will. So, Dan, I will give you a Bible verse that has have had me struggle with my faith. It has. Believe it or not, Go it's ahead. a verse that I read. It was uh, Isaiah 45, 7, I believe. You ever read that verse? I know it offhand. Hold, uh, I have my I, Bible. I, 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 I kind of know it by heart, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase it. Uh, it goes, uh, I created the light and the darkness. I created the miracles and the disasters. I, the Lord, have done all these things. And in other translations, it says I create the good and the bad things in this world. Uh, you know, I, I create the uh, the blessings and the misfortunes on others. Um, okay. Different, well, absolutely. Different translation. And so, I, but I, you know, and, and so, yeah, um, I do have some struggles sometimes with that because it's like, yes, we, 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 we all say it's the devil that does these things and everything like that. But well, who created the devil? Exactly. Uh, Too. I mean, I'm, I, I want to focus on Bethel on this thing, but you also got to realize um, if if you're well versed in the Bible, there's a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. G- Jesus came with love, and uh, I hear a lot of people take scriptures out of the Old Testament, and they can, you know, you you can make a scripture say whatever you want it to say based on whatever you're trying to agree with or know. But the yeah. truth is, uh, start in the New Testament. Read the words of John, Luke, Matthew, Mark, that Jesus is love and that, uh, you know, uh, he's love. So that's one thing I, I got to say about that. And uh, yeah. those were times, what, too, in the Old Testament. That was, you know. That would, that, what would Herbert Fountain think, think about that, though? But Dan, you know, I'll let you comment on that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's listen, your, no. Look at, look at Isaiah 41.10. If you, if you want to go back to Isaiah – he says, have no fear for I am with you. Be not afraid for I am your God. I will strengthen you, give you help, and uphold you with my victorious right hand. Listen, there are so many places, if you want to go to the Old Testament, so many places where God did defend. God did. And back then, before he sent Jesus into the earth to live as a man, which Jesus was just God in, in carnal form, in, in human form, before he sent Jesus down to live the life that we've all had to live and to be tempted like we were tempted. Yes, God was a very wrathful God. He caused plagues to come, and that was his punishment. He used fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. So absolutely, was he? A, it says in the Bible, he was a wrathful and vengeful God. It doesn't just say he's a loving God. Every you know, There's no place in the Bible where it says, I'm just loving. He punishes too, and that same punishment is what Herman Fountain is going to face one day for twisting the Bible around and for hurting kids. I mean, it says yeah. in the Bible, it's better for a man to tie a millstone around his neck and jump into the river than to harm a child. So, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So there's, there's, there's lots of places where, you know, you can look in the Old Testament and it's, you know, negative. However, the New Testament isn't all positive either. It says we're going to suffer. It says we're going to have hard times. Nowhere in the Bible does Jesus promise us a bed of roses. 
Hey, nowhere does it say it's going to be perfect and all lollipops and unicorns. It, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Paul, the apostle Paul is probably my biggest hero of the Bible because he went from a stone cold sinner. And I mean, a, a persecutor, a killer of Christians to being one of the biggest voices for Christians. And that came because he had to go, like Moody said, he had to walk, you know, he had to walk away from his faith. He thought he was doing the right thing, using the Old Testament, using the Hebrew laws and, and, and going against the Christians. And then he ended up becoming one. And he even said, you have to die daily. You know what well, I mean? You have to literally fight your own that's the wants. Thing. They said he creates evil and good, right? Yes. But you, you got the option to choose which one you want. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. Now, when and you're a small, sends his when you're a small on the... child, though, when you're a small child and you're brainwashed, I mean, it's you're more susceptible to choose the, the bad. You know what I mean? I mean Absolutely. No. So. Oh, I didn't want to rile up Dan before he had to go to church and everything like that. But I think yeah. I got fired up oh, for the okay. service and everything. It's okay. Which is good. Listen, this is I'm, good. And look. And anybody look, ever want to talk to me about theology? Let's go. <laughs> but look, I, you know. I, 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 at one time in my life, I did study to want to become a preacher and everything as well. And I do like, so there's a couple of people in the Bible that I, that I love dearly and that, and that I've learned outside of the Bible as well. St. Thomas was one of them. St. Thomas was, was, uh, was the one that, uh, that, that did not, that told everybody that he didn't, you know, that he didn't believe him whenever they said that he was risen from the grave, you know, that Jesus came from the grave. He said, let me see the scars. Let me see the, you know, let me see the wounds. And yep. that speaks out volumes because there's other stories of Thomas where he was a critical thinker. He was one that didn't subscribe to, to the, to the, uh, to what the crowd told him and everything. He really questioned everything around him. He, he looked for the why and everything. Um, I remember as a child and I'll give you this brief story. Cause I, I know we're talk, trying to talk about Bethel boys and everything like the, the, the Bethel home and everything. Um, Thomas walked on the beach and he found a little boy digging a hole and in the beach and then he then he was taking a bucket and putting putting the uh, ocean into that uh, hole so thomas asked him he said little boy what you doing he said well, i'm trying to put the whole ocean into the hole you know to put the put the, all the ocean into this hole and he goes um that's impossible you can't do that and while thomas was there on the beach was he was trying to figure out the mysteries of god and that little boy said just like you trying to figure out how uh, who God is is like me putting this uh, ocean into this hole, and then ended up flying up into heaven because he was an angel. So it was just stories like that. I've, uh, that 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 I kind of you know I I you know I, I as, like you had Paul as a hero. Thomas was one of mine, and it was just um, I've I've always looked for the why and everything as well. And sometimes it does drive you crazy. Sometimes it makes you have to step away from things. I don't, I, it's not that I hate God or that I hate Jesus or anything like that as well. I, I love, I love God. I love Jesus. I believe there's God and I believe there's a Jesus in this world. Uh, it's just sometimes the way man has hijacked Christianity and well, they, turned it into some evil, heinous things like what's being done, like what was done to y'all, what was done to thousands upon thousands of other children and all the other different cases I've come across. It really did break my heart and my heart's always been in a state of brokenness. And that's the, that's the, that's the horrible thing about it. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to stop trying to be, you know, do unto others that I'd want others to do unto me, to not protect the, you know, to not fight to protect the weak and those who are who are who are more vulnerable and everything as well. Listen, so the last thing what, I'm going to say on the Bible is is this: Jesus said, 
there's only two commandments. The rich young ruler came to him and he said, I've followed all the other commandments. Okay, I've tried, I've done everything you've ever taught us. Master, must, what must I do to gain eternal life? And he ended up saying, look, if you just follow these two commandments, you will see the kingdom of God. Love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. If you well, can follow those two, if you can put God first and others second and you last, you'll see heaven. Yep. A lot of the problems I had problems with faith when I got there is when we was there, you was you, you, you wasn't taught the scripture. You wasn't taught nothing. You were forced to memorize things. You're forced to do, you know what I mean, to believe, you know. Yeah. You can't yeah. force somebody to do something that they, you know what I mean? I mean, there was True. no new if when I saw the Bethel when I showed up at Bethel, I had a new King James Version Bible, and we had a, uh, a very interesting night that night when I got there. <laughs> yeah. But they, they burned that Bible, and I got beat severely over that stuff, I mean, for having that Bible. For a new, King, for a new King, King, King James Version? Because I couldn't understand that, you know, as a 12-year-old, you can't understand the, the all the, the way they, you know, use words. Yeah, there. the way I they mean, wrote it. Just, yeah. yeah, and that was that was my thing, you know, and – and uh yeah he he i mean he made me a martyr out of it. i mean he pretty much just made me feel worthless you know like well good thing well i i, I don't know what they do to me if i brought a quest uh, an niv quest study bible around then i guess right they burn you at the stake <laughs> you've been on orientation for about a year oh god you've been wearing pink for about a year jeez <laughs> yeah they used to put us with those people when when you were new kids. Yeah, that, well, yeah. I'll tell you one thing to change the subject. I'm gonna change the subject here real quick. I'll tell you yeah. one of the I know you asked Dan this, but one of the the coolest experiences I ever had coming from Seattle when I was in Mississippi, you know, the climate's different. You were talking about the bugs, Jeremy, and everything like that. I'd never yeah. seen fireflies in my entire life. Oh and really? I remember catching those fireflies, smashing their blood. And I remember it glowing on my hands, looking like it was predator blood. Yeah, and it was yeah. the coolest thing I had ever seen coming from the West Coast, going down South. Uh, but it was insane. But I, I will tell you one thing on this. And you could tell, like, we're on, the, we're on this with you right now. But if you were to, to come and have a beer with us and drink with all of us, like you get all us Bethel boys together, man. We're like brothers. We're joking. We're messing with each other. It's the craziest yeah. thing. I've met with so many of my Bethel brothers in person and instantly I haven't seen the guy in, you know, 25 years, or I didn't even go to the facility with, with him. You know, he came after me or something like that. We will sit down and we could tell by looking at each other, we're brothers. We got mm -hmm. so much love for each other. We, we will sit there. Um, we, we joke, we want to have a Bethel reunion sometime. Maybe we'll invite you down with us just to see what goes on. But we are absolute brothers because of what we went through. And they're, there were bad times, but for me personally, there were some good times because the only good times I had were the times that I had with my brothers when I was there because I went through so much hardship. Uh, you know, we we had each other, and if it wasn't for each other, we never would have made it. And I, I really remember, I know John, he's got, he just sent me this this picture or real late last night he got these dog tags from his friend coleman and i remember john you were trying to find coleman and i was in the same situation i was trying to find this guy aaron that i was there with and uh he like he got me through it and he was my brother you know and i couldn't find him and we were searching and searching on facebook and when we finally found each other man it was like this huge relief like you're still alive you're still mm -hmm. good you're still here 
and this crazy camaraderie that we have with each other. That's it's what's just crazy. Is even the people you get along with, you'd be like, man. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, it's even the people you didn't get along with up there, that the people that hated you really at the time. I don't, I don't want to hate to use the word hate, but uh, now it's now it's, it's it's different. You know, you you went. You know, you had all those bad times with those people, but now it's like you had you, your brothers. You know what I mean? Like he's saying. I mean, it's it's all that bad shit we went through. I mean, it was all worth this. It's I would never change it. I would never change anything that happened to me. Anything. Yeah. Just for that, just to, just to, because I have these guys in my life right now, you know, and I guarantee if any, anybody was getting bullied for, you know, singled out, I mean, you're going to have a lot of people on you. You know what I mean? <laughs> we got, we, so just all yeah. that trauma we went through, you know, it, it, I mean, it, so John, I, I, I know we covered uh, most of Dave's story and everything like that. Was there anything from Dan's like the questions I was asking him that you wanted? I mean, Dan's, I'm sorry. Uh, Dan, Dave, I'm sorry. I, I, I have uh, gotten y'all's names uh, in my time. head, so I know. But, yeah, John, uh, was there any anything you wanted to add from your story as well, though? I mean, because I know, I know we talked about Dan's story for a lot, but I, we, we, I haven't heard a lot on your on your end as well. I know I know we've been interjecting with different topics and whatnot, but I know this is part of your story, too, though. I mean, what, I mean, what, what part of the story you want to hear? I mean, you want to hear from the beginning? I mean, I don't I mean, I really don't know how to. I mean, there's so many. Parts OK, of the yeah. Story, so I, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, if, I mean, if you, if you want to, if you want to give a run through of your story as well, um, yeah, I'll make, I'll make it quick. So when I, okay. my thing is, when I was young, I was picked on. I was bullied in school and stuff. It's in the eighties and stuff. You, they didn't have really good stuff, you know, descriptions and stuff for your eyes. So pretty much the school system failed me because they just sent me a nuisance in class because I was acting out because you know you when you're picked on you act out you know I mean you're wanting yeah. attention from people so. What happened to me is I ended up going to, uh, I wasn't even Catholic, but I ended up going to Catholic school. My mom, you know, I had really, really good parents. I had really good parents. And uh, they were just older, you know, that my brother, he was born in 72. He was 13 years older than I was. So by the time, they just didn't have the patience for me, I guess, you want to, what I want to say. So they, they tried everything. And I was actually referred to that school by one of the top psychologists in the country, child psychologists. And uh, so I ended up at, you know, my parents kind of just told me that, you know, they were looking at this option. Well, I was feeling bad for the way I was treating my parents and stuff. And I sat down on the porch one day with my mom and I told her, I said, you know, I want to go here. I want to change. You know, I wanted that change. And so we, I, that's how my story started. And then, and, uh, you know, yeah, you're, yeah, I think you're the first person I've came across that actually wanted to go to a, uh, to a uh, TTI facility. Well, the thing is, um, is I was, I didn't understand myself and I didn't understand right. why I was acting the way I was, you know, and I have a, I've always had a lot of empathy, dude. And my thing yeah. is I, I would always react real fast, you know, real crazy. But then if you just gave me five minutes, I'd understand what I, you know, what, you know, and that was my thing. I didn't, I hated that about myself. And uh, so that's why, you know, I wanted to go to change. I want, I wanted better for myself, you know, and I wanted what my mom and them wanted and stuff. And, but and then I ended up in uh, on Brother Fountain's doorstep, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's where that's where my story started. I mean, that's same thing. It's pretty much what uh, you know. All these guys went through. You know, when you first get there, you, you go automatically on orientation, and when you first get there, they're, they're they're trying to break you down as a person. You know, and I totally understand that it's a team thing. So yeah. you know, right when you're there, it's you can't say I, me, or you. So if you say any of that, you're gonna get beat up. I mean, and it was. I when you first get there, they slowly start the, you know, the, the abuse, you know, you know, but if you keep it continually doing it, I mean, they would just, they would just, but that's pretty much, I mean, we pretty much how my story was. I mean, I, I got there and all that started. 
But uh, was there was there any stories that you and Dan have together that y'all remember? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, when you say about getting pit against each other, go ahead, John. Yeah, yeah well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, you know, I never disliked you, but I was just, man, like I said, I, I had, I had a, uh, I guess, a social disorder. So I, be, I just came off as a real annoying, you know, I, I made a lot of people up there mad, you know what I mean? And uh, so uh, I was in the showers one day and, uh, oh, Dan here, he, uh, he beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I came in there and I was picking on him. And uh, one of the guys that's also in our group, Luke Corbett, um, I didn't realize how good he was with his hands. And uh, he stuck up for John and uh, knocked my teeth out, broke my jaw, and because uh, I had been picking on Moody. And uh, listen, I've uh, trust me, John. I, I apologize. I hope you forgive me. But like oh, we we they pit us all against each other. We did whatever we thought it would take yeah. to, to keep us in favor or or keep us from getting whooped on and you know i was a little bit older than john and you know i, I was goofing around picking on him a little bit and yeah kind of uh yeah backfired on me let me put it to you that way well, <laughs> the thing is is not, not my whole time there was real as horrible as it was. got there i was i was traumatized a lot you know i was i was beaten you know mentally and physically abused and then a lot of the older guys, you know, even though they were made to do a lot of the stuff to me, they, they, they sort of, t- you know, they, they had empathy for me, I guess. And, you know, so, but yeah, I don't, I, I'm not mad at you one bit about that. You know, what's funny about it is when we found Dan and he got in a group, I was sitting there talking shit about, man, yeah, this son of a bitch threw me over a mop bucket and did all this stuff. And he's like, Hey Moody, that was me. I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. He threw you over a mop bucket. All given, man. We we did a lot of apologies. We bred us that way, and yeah, yeah. It, it takes it takes a real man to stand up and say I'm sorry. Yeah, but just just the whole trauma when I first got there, I knew I was screwed because, like I said, that my first night there, they burned my Bible. They had we, I remember it was at was at church. They had a little small fire going, and he burnt my Bible that night. And uh, yeah, he, he gave me some wit, uh, switches for that, and. And yeah, I mean, that's why I knew Herman found well, there was something different here. Like, I, and you know, in my head, I was just telling, him, okay, this is that deep Southern Baptist stuff. You know, it, this is okay. You know, and I was trying to make yeah. it. You know, yeah, because uh, I mean, it's it's not uncommon for for a southern for uh, Southerners who are Christian to burn books and everything like that. Um, I've I've seen it done as well too, uh, going up in churches as well. But I've never seen anybody burn a Bible. I've uh, I've seen people burn. The, like uh, witchcraft books, the satanic Bibles and stuff like that. But I've never seen anybody actually burn God's word yeah. because it was a different version of it. It's, you know, well, they believe that me, King James Bible is the only Bible. And you yeah. know what's funny is I've told my story online to people and uh, there's people that take up for Fountain. You know, there's people that was even in school with us that went to work with him after that and stuff. And they, they make it, they, they justify why he did that. They're saying it's the right thing. What he did was right, you know, and it's just, uh-huh. to me, it don't make no sense. I mean, to, to me, that Bible is just a, is, is a, once, hey, one second, guys. That's all right. I'll, well, I will add this part in, though. If uh, I'm if, sorry, if guys. Take... I got kids running around everywhere, so I'm having to. That's fine, buddy. 
I will say, John, though, <laughs> if, if those people say that Herman Fountain was right, then I'm a Chinese fighter pilot. <laughs> you know and that and that's the best way you come back at that with, with somebody like that um yeah because uh no there's no way that uh well, I mean, he might be right he might have been right on maybe one or two things in his life but when it came to dealing with children and everything like that no 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 sir no sauce and what's sad about it is his whole family was it wasn't just us kids that went through this i mean he he abused yeah. his wife all of his kids i mean there was so much trauma that that's you know he, he he probably had so many options to do the right thing, and he always chose the wrong ways about things, you know what I mean, for his own yeah. personal benefit. And it just it sickens me, you know, like, because to me, it's like, you know, I might react and say something I'm not supposed to to somebody or something, but 10 minutes later, I'm going to think about what I did, and I'm going to apologize to that person or, you know, make right, you know, and you yeah. never – there is – no, you were always wrong. I mean, and the thing is, is like, we're talking about the mop bucket when he threw me over, like, it wasn't just hey he didn't just get the the, the shit into that stick that we had to stand on eight, on line for eighteen hours for for that we all got wore out for that crap so it was yep let it, me ask yeah, y'all well, well well let me ask y'all something about about Herman about Herman Fountain then do y'all think he might have suffered through some traumas in his life that caused him I'm to, sure. to, to be the I'm way sure. he was and, and yeah he was from, actually from my home state he was born nineteen forty nine and uh, he he was from uh, Capitol Hill uh, Oklahoma City and I mean, oh wow! That area then in the in the forties was probably re- it was. It, I mean, it was you know the Bible Belt. You know what I mean? So they were yeah taught things a lot different than what we were. So, but I mean, I, I don't even know if he was taught religion then. I mean, I don't know if he learned his religion when he went to prison in New York. You know what I mean? You know, a lot, a lot of those guys learned the scripture, and he was a smart guy. You know, and maybe he knew that he could use the God's word to manipulate people to send their kids there. You know, I mean. Cause a lot of the people that was, that was there, like Ron, like my buddy, Ron Coleman, he was sent through a church. So when he would do this abuse stuff and then, and then they would kind of find out something was going on. Well, he was a preacher and, you know, he had, he had a golden tongue. So all he had to do was get on the phone with the, the, the pastor of that church and stuff. And he was, they're going to believe a hundred percent of what he was saying. You know I mean? He was just a manipulator. I mean, yeah. Yeah. It's funny seeing, uh, if, uh, I know John, uh, Dan, you got it. And I got it. The flyer that they sent to our parents, yeah. It was just so crazy. This you got kids smiling, and is your son in trouble with grades? Is he into drugs? Is he? <laughs> he got a solution for you. I mean, that guy was, uh, you know. Uh, and here's another quote I'll get from from Alan real quick. Is like uh, he was the best salesman in the world. He sold parents out of their children. Uh-huh. Yep. And that's what's been so hard for my parents because I really did grow up with good parents stuff. And he took that – he just didn't take my childhood away. He took my – he took that away from my mom and them too. And it, it to this day, it's, it breaks my mom's heart, you know. And that's another yeah. reason. When I got out of that school, when I got out, my brother had drowned. So, you know, my parents were giving me time to talk about it and stuff. And and I was about ready to come out and tell them about all the stuff that's happening. They just want me to be part of this lawsuit. There's a bunch of stuff. And, you know, and then I was traumatized by my brother dying, you know what I mean? And then it got swept under the rug and then just my brother's death and then remembering what happened to me. And, you know, and I still had struggles and stuff. And it's just like nobody's there's nobody here to help me because I can't I can't put my problems on my parents right now because of what they're going through. You know, and it, I felt I felt alone for so many years. And that's where the alcohol came in. You know, effect. it was a, for a long time. It was it. It really did. I mean, this sounds stupid, but it really did help, you know, but then. Over time, I started drinking for all the wrong reasons, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was for all – because when those, those things would come back to me, you know, that was just 
you know, it's I, just, dude, I, and, and I know uh, alcohol, it helps in the short term, but long term, the yeah. only issue is it does not help at all. It is not good. It, um, it is very destructive because then you start, then you start finding more reasons to drink. You start yeah. finding more problems to, to solve with alcohol. And then it becomes where you become so dependent on it every damn day. You end up starting to drink a, a pint or a fifth or, or a half gallon. Uh, and then it really gets bad from there. And so I, you know, I, I was able to, I, luckily I was able, my wife was able to kind of see all that shit go down before it got too bad for me and was like pointing me out. And she's always on top of me about that as well with my drinking. So I, I don't know how, how y'all's wives are with y'all. But, uh, exact same way. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So we're not alone in that issue. Well, my first marriage, uh, she tried, she was there. I mean, but. I was on at that age. I was uncontrollable. You know what I mean. There was just nobody yeah. telling me nothing. You know, and I was just not ready to just to. Because to tell you the truth, when I got out of Bethel, I know this sounds kind of weird, but it like kind of stunted my mental growth. Well, obviously, so we didn't really have no schooling those years we were there. We didn't have proper schooling, so we were so far behind when we got out of school. Like when we got back into like public school system, it was ridiculous. Like it was, it yeah. was a, it was a struggle. You know, and and that's it's just it's just sad. You know. It, for me to think that somebody has hurt in their heart like I have to, it really does. It makes me sad as hell. Like, because I, I wouldn't want nobody to feel some of the pain that I've had in my heart about some of the stuff that's happened to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, you, know, it's, and, and, and you know, John, that's what they call an empath. Somebody that what you just described is, is, is what they call an empath in life. That's a person that wants to. You know that they, they can they can pick up on the feelings of others. They can pick up on the emotions. They and 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 they want to try to heal that from them and everything yeah. as well. One one thing I've always said about people. One one thing I've always said about survivors and stuff like that. That you know that I, that I wish I could do is to be able to to hug them so I could soak up all their pain. You know, and, and, I, and somebody had to stop me and, t- and 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 tell me that 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 that's what an empath is about. And um, so my whole life has been like that. So when I got out. I would care about pleasing other people than my own self. And it, it really, it turned into an issue. You know what I mean? It turned into yeah. even a financial issue because if I had a bunch of money, I was going to make sure everybody was happy. You know what I mean? And I could walk in the room. My mom's always called me a seer. And I could walk into the room and I could feel everybody's mood in the room. You know what I mean? Like that's just how I've always been, yeah. you know? And that's why I've always been really good at like, you know, communicating with people and getting along and stuff over the years. And, but so you so so you have so you have like fantasies about uh about if you won the Powerball or something like that you're gonna pay off everybody's mortgages Every, and take yes. care of everybody set them all up yeah I do the same damn thing yes. too so. same here That's right. yeah. well even when I'm when even when I'm like financially really not stable at times you know uh, when I see other people that's down I, I will I will make myself where they're at you know at the moment just you know what I mean I I will screw myself to make them happy you know what I mean and yeah. Helping people is good, but when when it gets to that kind of an issue, when you're actually not benefiting yourself and you're hurting, not benefit, but you're hurting yourself, it, you know, it turns. In, I mean, it, it, mentally, it turns into a, an issue. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like I'm one of those guys. Like, if somebody's mad at me, I make it. I make shit way worse because I can't stand there, stand thinking that somebody's mad at me or. It's just, it, I guess up there, you know, you never. It was just it's, it's how they did you. I mean, it was just. Yeah, not knowing the not knowing, you know, and I can't stand when I don't know something like I don't know. So, what I want to ask you guys too is, uh, if y'all can talk about anything, is uh, what are y'all doing with y'all's lives currently? Any projects y'all working on? 
anything that you know that you can mention at all i know that there's some things but or i might know there's some things but i know how it is in the world sometimes you can't talk about certain things yet so so anything any y'all any three y'all want to talk about that y'all working on project wise i know i know dan you said that you kind of help people who are uh who are out there uh with drugs and everything like that and helping them find a place and whatnot but is there any other projects that maybe you know moody or dave y'all working on man really right, right now i'm just you know i'm trying to get involved in what we're doing right now and you know just spreading gotcha. the word you know and just just i want people to know that hey even it don't matter who you are sometimes the best thing you do is just let everything off your chest and, and it's, it's okay to talk about it you know it really is i mean yeah and if somebody doesn't like what you say i mean just hey you know what i mean just oh well i mean is there any way for anybody to reach out to y'all like, yes. like, like, oh, like, yeah. like, so like, it, like, I know like y'all, y'all got Facebook groups and stuff like that, but like, what, so like, what's the social, so like anybody that might've been, you know, that, that was a survivor of the TTI, especially at Bethel and everything like that, or maybe other TTI survivor groups, do, do y'all have any names for the, for those that maybe people can find y'all from and everything? Cause I found, I met one that wasn't even hardly ever connected to anybody. And then I met her out of left field and everything like that. So I just, well, well anybody's, Anybody can contact me, but the way I would go about it is, you know, we got, we got, you got like Dan and Dave, you know, they've been, they've been, they work with people a lot. So to me, if somebody comes to me, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to Dave because he knows how to direct them. You know what I mean? Like, so we have, he he knows all these multiple groups, so he knows how to place these people to get the correct, you know, the correct healing or whatever they're they're looking for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's what I'd say. I'd push him to Dave. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, uh, (laughs) Yeah, if, it, if people are listening to this, um, and especially if you went to Bethel, you just got to search online hath, uh, hashtag Bethel Boys. So we got a Facebook page. It's uh, Bethel Boys and Survivors of the TTI Industry. So feel free to reach out to us on that page. Also, uh, if you went to Bethel, we have a Bethel discussion group. It's a private group that we can connect you with other brothers that went through the same type of stuff. Um uh, you can also check out Alan Knowles got a book out there called Surviving Bethel, which is really good. You can find it on Amazon. And then we also uh, uh, we got a documentary film that's coming out. I can't say when or where it's going to be announced real quick. So probably okay. Jeremy, once this podcast is released, we'll have an air date. Um, so the, the documentary film covers Bethel and the troubled teen industry. And uh, I, one thing I want to say is I think any of these guys, you know, like I know John and I know Dan, you can reach out to any of us at any time. We are there to help. We are there to talk. And sometimes the greatest thing is just to have somebody that's like, dude, I went through it. Whether they were at Bethel with us or not, or another facility, or Jeremy probably like you, whether they've been through some sort of abuse, just somebody that can listen to you, understand and relate, because there's not many people that can relate to me personally. But if yeah. you've gone through what I've gone through, we can relate. And and that's the biggest thing, right? Like, like my hardest issue was get people to believe me. When I got out of Bethel, I tried to tell people about it. My, even my parents said, you're lying to me. I never sent you to a place like that. I would tell my story and I'd start seeing people, their eyes would kind of glaze over and, and I could tell their look like, okay, maybe he's making this up or maybe it's not real or maybe he's wanting attention or he's wanting this. Find people that can relate to what you're going through because there is nothing more healing than being able to talk to somebody, get that off your chest. Cause for me, I just bottle it down for years and years and years and years and years. And finally, when, when you can find a group of people that can relate to what you went through, 
no matter what the abuse is, somebody's been through it. Yep. When you can connect with people that have gone through similar things with you, talk about it. And and we got this brotherhood. We call ourselves Bethel Boys. But man, we we got this brotherhood of each other and we rely on each other. And, and when shit gets tough, we we call each other. And, you know, it's the greatest healing thing. It's the greatest thing to see stuff that we've been through. We got this like we're, we're like our own counselors. It's, it's just crazy to see really? people, everybody's stepping up like, yeah, I'll listen. I'll listen. That's all I wanted. That's all John wanted. That's all Dan wanted in our life. There's listen no, to no judgment at all. Amazing. So reach out to John, to Dan, to me, to any of us. And uh, whether, in, especially in the TTI industry, no matter what facility you went through, there's groups out there now. It's amazing to see how over the last like three, four, five years, when we started, there was nothing out there. We were grassroots. And now it's it's all over. It's in the news. It's in the media. We're going to have this massive documentary coming out. So reach out. We'll find people that you can relate to. We'll find people you can talk to. And the biggest thing is we'll find people that can give you that validation. So you can go back to any of those people that didn't believe in you or didn't believe what happened to you was true. Parents, loved ones, and say, look, it's not just me that went through it. These people went through the exact same thing. And for me, that was a big thing, getting that validation from the loved ones that, okay, you actually, that actually happened. Okay, now we can talk about it. So, anytime, Bethel Boys, Bethel Boys Trouble Teen Industry, and then there's all sorts of other groups out there as well. So, if you search the Trouble Teen Industry or type in the name of the facility you went through, you're going to find people out there right now that are vocal and talking about it, and they can be your support group. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, don't be embarrassed about nothing. I mean, I mean, don't be ashamed or. And, and the thing is, is we're going to give you the attention. You know, like that, some people, you know, you need attention about what happened to you. you know what I mean, so like I said, there's been sex, there's been sexual abuse. It's there's been torture. I mean, you name it. I mean, we there, there's we. I mean, we have a place for you. I mean, and half our group, you know, the stuff we I just said. I mean, it, it's happened to us. I mean. Yeah, Dr- drownings. I mean, what what else? Drownings. I mean, beatings, tortures. I mean, it's, Earth, I mean, it's yeah. It's we've uh, we've been through it all. I mean, and pit bull sick on them. They actually oh, made yeah. electric fences at Bethel as punishment and called it ride the lightning while they would spray them with a hose. <laughs> Shit, yep. Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, man. Hey, let's, let's talk about the little pit bulls real quick. That's, it's really interesting. People <laughs> would like to. So yeah. yeah, they had these these pit bulls, and you can ask Dan and Dan, I mean, it was they're not normal. They, I mean, they were well trained dogs. I mean, but these dogs were also they were also abused. I mean, you know, feeding them gunpowder and whey protein and just isolating gunpowder. Oh yeah. Yep. Uh huh. Made them ornery. Made them real yeah. ornery. Yeah. Hey, I actually got bit a dog named Polo. Uh, if I say this right, it's Yoko Schmidez. He caught he taught all his dog German. This dog, Alder, and what, and not the job subject, but Alan Noel, what's so funny is when he was younger, he was one of the only uh, people that was brave enough to do this, but uh, Jerome Shark not would stick the dog on you. Well, he learned all the commands and stuff, and he would spit them commands out, and that dog would stop. And, oh, gosh, that would make that guy so mad about that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah. He would, I bet, he would I take you down to one end and stick the dog on you and make you run and see how long it took for the dog to catch you. He would and use you, you as a training dummy. And if you and touch that dog at all, you're, chopper. you're done. Yeah, y'all see Stand By Me. It was like sick balls, chopper. That's what he did. That's 
That's probably where the that's probably where he got it from. No. Yeah. Well, I, I'll tell you, I I did get bit in the balls and the nuts, and uh, it was pretty embarrassing at Bipolo. And yeah, his whole family got involved in the the the, the stitching process of my nuts that after that happened. So yeah. Well, um, you you were, you were saying it, you were saying you couldn't hit the dog or something like that, John. Okay, I, yeah, uh, no, that, got, got, that dog was worth more than what you were. That, those dogs mean more to that guy than what we did. I mean, if you touch that dog, I don't care because he would attack that dog. He would stick that dog on you. The dog would just tear you up. But if he just snapped, I can't remember what he would say, what the command was. But he would, that dog would just listen to it. Stop. I mean, but yeah, yep. He would tell you watch him. He would say watch him. If you were doing something he didn't like, he would make the dog sit right by you and say watch him. And Paul would just stand there right next to you. And if you even moved, that dog would grab you and turn you every way but loose. And Dan, he's actually had to uh, revive that dog. So, not, he used to actually dog fight them dogs. I mean, he he actually, yeah, I know. He dog fought it and he actually had his friends come out and they would actually place bets on us when we was fighting and stuff. I mean, it was barbaric, dude. Like, yeah, he, that, we didn't say he would have, he would have us fight each other. And then he would have people from the town and his friends come in and take bets on us, and it was it was bad. It was like Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. No, no, nobody betted on me, so <laughs> <laughs> except for one time, and I think the reason I got my ass beat so bad is I actually won the fight. <laughs> so against Noel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the, he, yeah. They actually would coordinate boxing matches, and they would be in the dorms, and then eventually they had a boxing ring. And it was like Friday fight nights. You get all these people you haven't seen. He's sitting around probably eating damn popcorn while all his boys were fighting each other. It was, it was insane. I had a really good friend of mine that was a big kid. He would actually, Fountain would take him to fights and fight. And you know there was money involved. So there were several people that he did that with. Well, not several. Well, I, I can't say took him underground, but he took those guys under his wing. So Joshua Knott was actually Luke. a he was a Golden Glove boxer, so he had a little protege. Uh, yeah, and I mean that kid had some fast hands. You know, I mean, like I said, he he was close to my age at the time, and he, I mean, kids that were 17, 16, 17 years old wouldn't mess with him. You know what I mean? Like, but that was some wild. And it wasn't just regular boxing matches, especially if he was boxing when he was mad. He was going to turn all the showers on, the heaters. You're going to have a sweat. Like you're, you're going to <laughs> sweat party. And to this day, I yeah. like that claustrophobia. I remember the headgear; like it'd be so hot in there, you'd put that headgear on. I mean, talking about you'd you'd have you start having panic attacks, you know, <laughs> like because the claustrophobia of how hot it was in there, and you had all that headgear on. And but yeah, Jeremy, you no. could do episode two with us. I know we've been going a while here. You can do an episode two. You don't even know the stories. We're just we're touching the surface right uh -huh. here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 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 well, I mean, but uh, there's some yeah, great well, stuff. <laughs> well, 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 well. This could definitely be a teaser for uh, for episode two for in the future and everything as well. Uh, yeah. I would love to have y'all on again as well. Um, man, what a hell of a hell of a story y'all, your stories y'all had. Yeah. Um. Man, it just yeah. And I, I I think we definitely need to have a, a part two later on. Uh, sometime in the future for sure. Uh, cover some of the the stories with the boxing rings and everything like that because I have heard of those as well. It's not it it wasn't just a Bethel thing. Um, I think it was uh, at uh, Elon as well that had that had it uh, or Elon Elan out in uh, out in the East Coast, the North Bear Northeast, out in the middle of the woods out there in Maine. Um, also, I think a couple other places I've heard of that they just they're very brutal and 
Man, we could, write, we, as well. we could write a book about just the drownings and stuff, dude. Like when we say we, yeah. they, used make, they used to make us tread water, you know, and you know what, you know, what's messed up is you're supposed to be afraid of drowning, right? Well, right. at a point to where you're getting, this is happening to you so much that you want it to happen. Cause you know, when, after that happens, they were going to be nice to you, you know, <laughs> tell me how, how messed up that is. You know what I mean? Like. Jesus, yeah. I mean, he he would uh, drown I mean, kids in, in in kitchen sinks. We had a swimming pool. He would drown. He would drown in that. We had a we had a pond with a, a actual noose rope in the middle of it. You know what I mean? I mean, it was it was crazy shit. I mean, not the, but yeah. I mean, good God, Man. yeah. We we definitely need to go over it, uh, if if y'all are up to it. I don't want to. I don't want Anytime. to put nobody through a mental spiral, you know, and everything like that. So, uh, but yeah, if y'all up for a part two, we'll definitely do a part two on that stuff. Um, cause it needs to be known. I mean, people need to know what happened yeah, and what, and what, and what y'all were feeling and what y'all went through with that as well. And, and what, like what the emotions were, because if they're, if, you know, like how, like how we kind of touch base, if any parents going to see, you know, send their kids to any of these places, they need to do their research and they need to figure out. What the hell they're really put, what what's uh-huh. the chances of what they're putting their kids through? Well the thing is, is you know, I was I was I was referred from one of the top psychologists in the United States, you know, and that's it, it's just sad that, you know, a guy in his in his statue, you know, would be able to refer somebody, you know, and come to find out this place was a shithole, you know what I mean? Like yeah. but hey Dave, uh yeah. you should tell him about William Knott and Herman Fountain, where you could find their stories at, and because there's there's so much. I mean, you'll go down a rabbit hole with all the stuff that these guys have been in trouble for. Like, yeah, yeah. if you start there, there's lawsuits. There's a lot of stuff, and and what's cool is to hear, like, when one person tells their story, that's something else. But we're becoming this large voice, right? Society is not going to ignore us anymore. We've been doing this for a long time. We've been telling. And these places started, you got Roloff Homes and Seed and Elon, like you said. Um, this has been going for a very, very, very long time. You start searching out there. You search William Knight. You search Bethel Boys Academy. You search Trouble Teen Industry and get involved. Get involved. Share your story. Because the more people that share their stories, the louder our voice becomes. And all of a sudden, we're no longer a voice. We're yelling Something needs to change. It just amazed me when I started all this. And when we started all this, all these guys back 2016, like it's 2016. What, what is going on here? And it's 2022. And we're still talking about this. Like, yeah. Ball, yeah. Find your group, get your voice and things will change. And like Dan was saying earlier, if we can do this to where one person doesn't have to go through it, then it's all worthwhile, right? That gives us our purpose. That gives us our worth. That gives what we went through, uh, not just abuse, but like John said, we're now survivors. We're sharing our stories. We're making differences. We're changing lives. And that's what it's about. You can find it, search it, get involved. If you went through it, share it. Cause hey, we're be a part of the family. I mean, we're, we're a family. I mean, this all this stuff. Absolutely. That happens, we're a family. I mean, and we got a place for you. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. I mean, there's definitely a place. You're I mean, wanted. You're it don't wanted. matter. It don't matter what color you are, what what sex you are. I mean, what or what anything. I mean, it's 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 we we have it all. I mean, that's what's so amazing about this group is you have so many different types of people, uh, stories. I mean, it's just it's it's wild. I mean, and if you need so to, so, you know, so basically so basically coming you all. You got a shoulder to cry on because yeah. we're all your brothers. We're all your sisters. We're all your friends. Uh, we're there for each other. We're becoming like this huge, massive 
support group for each other. So, and don't, we don't judge. I'll tell you that there's no judgment. You can you. It yeah. don't matter. You blue, pink, purple, with polka dots, white, black, yellow. I don't care. Gay, straight, whatever. We don't judge. That's not what we're there for. We're there to listen. We're there to care. We're there to support you. We're there to help you. I mean, you need to call us at three o'clock in the morning because you're about to go through it and you're having a flashback and PTSD and everything from it. And you just got to talk to somebody. Trust me. One of us will pick up the phone. Oh yeah. It's just the way it works at all nights of the hours. Trust me. When I first got in this group, trust me, that's how people know me till this day. I mean, I'll call you. I don't care if I wake up and I'm thinking about you, I'm going to call you, you know? And that's the thing is Dave and all these guys have worked me through a lot of issues that I've need, you know, I, when I first got in this group, I was, it was really rough for me. You know, a lot of emotions came back. I, I went off to kind of the deep end and they sat back, they listened, they, you know, they didn't pass judgment. You know, they just, they, they worked with me, you know, and that, and all I, they listen is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? That's some people, that's what some people need is, is somebody to listen to, you know, or somebody to listen to them. And, and that's what they did for me. And, and I'm, I'm proud. Hello, John. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> hey, I, I'll tell you this. I'm proud about what I went through. I, I really am. And, and, and it sounds stupid, but I am proud of what I went through, you know, and I, I couldn't ever met you guys. I couldn't ever be, you know, having these experiences, you know, with you guys if I didn't go through this, you know, and, and it wouldn't have made us who we became. No, I mean, if we didn't have the trouble and the trials and the, the, the pain we went through, we wouldn't be who we are today. So, and for somebody to try to tell you that you're, 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 you're not, you're not as good as or anything. And that's crazy. You know, this is what this place taught us, you know, and William Knott, when he left, you know, he opened up those other places, but there's a, there's a story on YouTube and it, it talks about how he opened up a home and it was for these, these parents that had uh, kids that were uh, gay or, you know, and you could send your kid to them and uh, William not pray the gay away, pray the gay yeah. away and tell me how yeah. ludicrous as that is, you know, it, it's just, I don't know. Oh, it's, John, I, I got stories I've heard that were just fucking brutal and heinous. I'm sorry. I, I, I know Dan, you have to go to church. Sorry about that. But I mean, listen, it was, I, I'm uh, going to have to get going. So I'm going to cut yeah. off here, fellas. God bless you. I got to get rolling. Go Love you, brother. Go ahead. If you I'm need sorry. anything, listen, have a good day. God bless you. Anybody listening to this? Hey, if you need need us, reach out. We're there. Love you, Dan. You be good, brother. All right, Love you, brother. Have a good one, guys. See you up later. You too. Later, Dan. Go ahead. Later. Be yeah. Yeah. Meet meet you guys. I'm gonna. I gotta get going here as well. I, I appreciate you, Jeremy. Thanks for just spending the time with us, listening to us, right. and it means a lot to all of us. And I look forward to meeting with you guys again. That, that'll be awesome. We'll have to do a part two here. So yeah. I appreciate. Yeah. John, love you, brother. Take care of yourself. I'll, I'll hit you up a little later here, all right? Oh, I'll blow you up right when I get off her. <laughs> no, man. I'm just joking. But I, love you, brother. Later, bro. Later, David. Later, thanks. Ahead, I'm, I'm listening. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, John, I'm, I mean, I've heard a bunch of stories that I've heard uh, that would just blow your mind on that, on, on, on the gay conversion, uh, on the conversion therapy camps and everything like that as well. Yeah. See, to me, that's inhumane. I mean, what we went through is inhumane. But you, you tell some of they're 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 less than somebody. I mean, that, to me, it's crazy, and I can't believe that they got away with that, even that for the years they did. You know, I mean, it's just it's sickening. It is. Well, John, I gotta say, uh, this was a wonderful interview. Yeah. And uh, I, look, I appreciated you and Dan and Dave for coming on here and 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 being a part of being on my podcast and everything and sharing your story and. 
I look forward to part two as well. And uh, I look forward to the documentary that uh, will come out soon one day. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So, brother, you be safe. You take care. And well, uh, we'll, we'll, we need to stay in touch and everything as well. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. I, you, hey, you're, you're a voice, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. this will touch somebody, I promise you that. And like I said, if anybody ever needs to talk or try to find us, I mean, Bethel Boys, it's on Facebook. I mean, you'll find us. You can go on YouTube. I mean, just, you yeah. can write a comment on there. We'll, we'll reach out to you, you know what I mean? So. Well, it, it's, it's definitely it's it's definitely heartwarming to know that there's uh, that that men are coming out as well with this, and that they're sharing their stories as well, and that you know that you get that you can inspire other men to be like, you know what, I can come out, I can tell my story. Somebody is going to believe me. So, yeah, uh, appreciate what y'all have done. Appreciate the bravery it took to step up and stand out and speak out against some of these heinous people and, and these individuals that hurt y'all. Yeah, and uh, just know that there are a lot of good people that do care. And they just don't know what to care about yet, but they will soon. We're yep. opening their eyes. Yeah, I'm right. So, John, I love you, brother. You love you too, good. brother. Hey, man, just get, anytime, anytime. So I will, man. I'll, 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 we'll definitely have to set up for a part two. I love you, man. You be good, brother. You too, brother. All right. Bye. Bye. So that was my interview with John, Dan, and Dave. Wow, it's a lot to take in. It was a very long interview, but it was a good interview as far as somebody telling their stories and what, what happened and what went on. Um, as always, I'm stunned, I'm speechless. I feel like every time I hear a TTI story, it just, the phrase keeps coming back to me all the time that it's stranger than fiction. Because that's what it feels like. It feels stranger than fiction. Because I cannot believe and fathom in this world, especially on the religious side, the religious programs, right? The Christian-based programs. A faith that I grew up in. A faith that I believed in for so long. Never seeing the heinous underside of it. This is at all not not here to, 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 down, Christian, to down Christ or God or anything like that. But I am here to say, though, this is what happens when you let religion run rampant and unchecked. This is what goes on. This is what gets done to kids behind closed doors. And then we all go to church on Sunday morning, and we're none the wiser. These troubled teen industry institutions have been under our noses the whole time. And we've kind of known about them, but we didn't know what really went on with them. Whether you have the military schools, the wilderness programs, the, the rehab programs, your reunification camps, the gay conversion therapy camps. I mean, there's just so many different kinds and different types that when you sit down and talk to these survivors, a lot of them feel like nobody's going to believe them. But I can't imagine thousands upon thousands of individuals from different walks of life from different areas of, of, of this country all conspiring together to say, yeah, these many institutions all conspired to harm children. It, that, sounds, that sounds crazy, right? That sounds unbelievable because that is. What's more believable is that 
They allowed institutions to run rampant, do whatever they wanted to do, have no oversight, have no official, like no official groups watching over them to ensure that the kids were being safe in their hands. I mean, William Knott was a conv- was a convicted felon. I mean, he met you know Mr. Her- Mr. Fountain in prison, and when they got out. He hired him as a drill instructor. And he had bad charges on him already. So. It's just. There's so many different stories. That have come out of these places. That I just. I don't know. I I shake my head at them sometimes. Because it's like. Why would you do this? Why? 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 The question always comes back to Why? The question I ask all the time on this podcast, the question I ask myself in my entire life, why? Why do the things you do? Why hurt children? Some answers are as easy as because it's a money-making industry. Because the TTI is. The TTI is a multiple billion dollar industry with very little oversight means you make all the money you want as much as you can and you ain't got the government looking over your shoulder I mean that's essentially what it is in a nutshell if you take away the abuse and the pain and the torment and the torture and and the sexual assaults and rapes and everything else in between that's what it boils down to they treat kids as a commodity for business And it's their business to keep them in there as long as they can so they can keep making money off of them every single day. It's heinous. It's atrocious. And it's downright evil. I, for one, am glad that I know about it now because if I ever have children, I'm never going to send my kids to a place like this. And a lot of people are, are realizing how bad these places are And what I'm also noticing, too, is that this goes a lot deeper than what most people know. This goes into our courts, in CPS, and many different other organizations and facets of our society. Pharmaceutical companies are involved in these places. Insurance companies are involved in these places. They make a lot of money off these kids. And this is what they do to them. I'm not going to say every single one of these places do that. But there's a lot of places that do it though. There are so many out there. And Bethel has a lot of survivors who want to come out and come forward and speak up. And so I'll tell any survivor that's listening right now. If you made it this far to the end of the show. Some people do, some people don't. But I'm glad you did. Telling your story, whether it's me on a podcast or if it's my friend David Keck on his or or just to a friend in general, will help with your healing journey. I'm not going to say that you come on here and you're going to be healed or you're going to start a healing process. What I'm saying is telling your story to a friend that cares can help. I'm not saying it will help, but it can help. I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained and and dealing with traumas or anything like that I was 
I was a man who was just sick and tired of seeing these babies being hurt, being killed and raped and molested. And I wanted to use my voice for something positive in this world and do something positive and help people. And I wanted to show people in my area that it can be done. No matter how busy your life is, no matter what you got going on, you can use your voice for something good. Because if we can sit there and and talk about church and football on Facebook and everything like that, we can definitely sit there and use our voices to talk about protecting kids from pedophiles and, and, and talking about the babies that are being murdered and beaten to death. And go and make real changes in our society, in our community, in the world around us. That's what I'm about. That's why I do this. That's why I interview these people. That's why I go and share their stories. Because I care enough. And all it takes is one spark to light a flame. And that flame of revolution is starting to spread. I'm starting to see more and more people stand up. I'm starting to see more and more people actually care. And realize what's important in this world. Because I'm here for two things on this podcast. To protect kids from pedophiles. And to share survivor stories. And the best way I know how to do that legally. Is with my voice. And I said legally. I'm not going to go and talk about the other ways I can do it. But I will say this. I see you survivors. And I love y'all. Y'all touched my heart. Y'all grown my empathy. And you strengthened my compassion toward other people. And for that, I thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you. I love each and every single one of you. Reach out if you ever want to. Tell me your story. Whether we do it on the podcast or on the phone. Or in person. If you're out here in... In the Baton Rouge area in Louisiana. I'm here for you. And I love you. Remember. Protect all children even if they're not your own. Be safe. I love you. Peace.